When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. We've got a lot of cricket coming up on the show. Of course, the first test against Sri Lanka gets underway tomorrow at Hagley Park in Christchurch. Uh, so we've got a couple of stalwart Cantabrian cricketers coming on this hour. Peter Fulton, the coach of Canterbury, is uh, going to join us. We're going to talk to him about that test. And then uh, around uh, quarter past nine, Andrew Ellis, the former Canterbury captain, and all round is also going to join us. We'll have a double hit on the cricket. We'll also hear from Matt Henry, Neil Wagner, Blair Tickner and Shane Jurgensen. Uh, they all spoke today, so we'll hear from them throughout the evening. Uh, we're going to catch up with Eric Thompson uh, to talk motorsport as well. We'll cover off the uh, football from this morning. We had Champions League on, and uh, we'll talk a bit of that as well. Uh, Chelsea uh, getting a win, I know. Uh, yesterday, uh, well last night I should say, we had David Choate, former all on, who's a big Chelsea fan. He didn't see how Chelsea were going to win that because they have been struggling to score goals, but they scored two this morning to get past Dortmund, so we'll talk a bit about that and uh, hear from uh, Graham Potter as well. Uh, it is also uh, International Women's Day, and so we've been celebrating women in sport, talking about that, and I, I know uh, Michael from Wellington, who listens all the time, has been texting through saying uh, the women's Blues and Hurricanes teams uh, play uh, on the same night as uh, the Hurricanes and Blues as well. So that'll be a good one, Michael. I know that you will be along. And uh, also, it's been announced by New Zealand Rugby and DHL, who are one of the big sponsors of Super Rugby Pacific, uh, that round four is going to be kids around with free and discounted tickets for kids. Uh, the games uh, that they're going to be available for, uh, St. Paddy's Day, uh, the Canes versus the Tars at Sky Stadium in Wellington, uh, Saturday the 18th, which is uh, the day after the Re- Chiefs versus the Rebels at FMG Stadium in the Waikato. Uh, so later on that night, uh, Blues Crusaders at Eden Park, and then on the 19th, which is the Sunday afternoon game, the Highlanders in the force at Rugby Park in Invercargill is a limited number of free kids tickets on offer with paying adults. Uh, so you just go to the ticket providers and have a look there as well. And the Chiefs are offering the first 1,000 kids uh, tickets free 
um, with an adult ticket purchased in the family zone as well. So uh, trying to get the kids involved and along to Super Rugby matches. It is uh, very good to see, very good to see. Also, I saw an announcement today that Darren Baisley, the All Whites interim coach, has named his backroom staff if you like, his uh, assistant coaches, etc., uh, for the China the games against China, which happen uh, later on this month. And uh, it's good to see he's turned to a few familiar faces. Uh, it will be a different coaching look, a different makeup. I think uh, it's fair to say. Uh, but uh, some familiar faces and bringing some of those guys back in to the mix as well. So Glenn Moss, uh, who's currently the goalkeeping coach at MacArthur, he's going to be along as the goalkeeping coach for the games against China. Uh, Rory Fallon, who has been involved under Danny Hay, is also going to be there as an assistant, as is Simon Elliott, who we haven't seen much of for a while. He's been coaching over in the States. So those guys are all going to be on deck uh, for the All Whites come the China Games later on this month at Eden Park and at Sky Stadium as well. It's five past eight. When we come back, Lavina Good's going to join us. We're going to talk International Women's Day and celebrate women in sport. We're also going to talk NRL because you can't have Lavina on and not talk rugby league. It's nine past eight here on SENZ. This is Extra Time with Ricardo Ball through till 11 o'clock. And uh, today is, of course, International Women's Day. And Lavina Good, sports broadcaster, extraordinaire, rugby league lover, Parramatta Eel fan. She bleeds, bleeds blue and yellow if you cut her. She joins us uh, to talk that and more. G'day, Lavina. How you doing? Yeah, g'day, mate. <clears throat> Haven't chatted with you since I sent you a couple of messages when the Eels were playing at the weekend. Once again, my heart was broken, Ricardo. It happens. It, it happens. It happens, mate. It happens. Well, you certainly weren't hap- uh, helped by uh, Ryan Madison deciding to uh, cop games missed instead of paying a $4,000 fine and Sean Lane breaking his jaw a week before the season starts. Certainly affected things <coughs> in the back row, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I reckon we really miss Sean Lane. I thought at the end of last year, he was probably the inform forward for um, the Eels. Once he realised he could offload and not put the ball down, he was just a, a whole new player. And, I, and they really missed that go forward. They missed that more than anything. And, you know, they had a, they had a few opportunities where they could have, you know, maybe won, won the game. But in the end, they were outclassed. And they also, conditioning-wise, didn't look that fit to me in the last 15 minutes either. And there's no excuse to that for any team in the NRL at the start of the season. I mean, there's so much involved in their fitness regime pre-season. But I really thought that the um, the Eels started to look like they, they were labouring and, and struggling throughout that game against the Melbourne Storm. But bloody Cam Munster. How can, he goes off with that finger, right? So I'm like, cut finger, bones protruding, whatever, whatever comes back out on the pitch and just manages to carve it up. And I'm like, how do you get back on the pitch, buddy? He's not playing this weekend. He's decided to have the weekend off. But, you know, I don't think that they would have won it without him because he's, he's the orchestrator. He lets them know what's happening and, and where's it going. And the Eels just looked in that little bit of disarray, you know, almost like they um, they lost faith in their ability as to what they could do. So I'm hoping it's not going to be a really long season for them. Um, it's early in the days. We know it's 26 rounds, but... Judging from what I saw from the Eels, um, without that go forward from those two players, Madison and also Lane, it was an area of concern to just try and get into that top eight. You know, they didn't look that great to me. Yeah, no, it's a worry. Uh, definitely, definitely say that it's a worry because, I mean, the, the other thing is, um, and I think you've kind of touched on it, but, I mean, Matt Dory and Bryce Cartwright and, and Jermaine Hopgood actually went better than I thought they would. 
But those guys, two of those guys, are really bench forwards, right? I think Hopgood will probably start once everyone's back. But two of those guys are bench forwards, and that meant the bench looked pretty thin. Um, and we saw that when yeah, that's the problem. Beginning of the second mm-hmm. half, when Harry Grant decided to start going from runs from from dummy half, how much yardage did he make there? And uh, that's when I think the Eels started to go backwards and, and look like they were out of puff. Yeah, that's that's when it happened, when Harry Grant in the second half decided that he would make some yards from dummy half. Initially, he started doing it just to call the Eels offside, and then he realised that they, they started looking a bit tired, and I agree. Not, I've never been a massive fan of Cartwright. I know lots of people give him the big raps, um, and I know he's a bit of, he can be a bit of a, a workhorse, but I see him as a very one-dimensional forward. He doesn't bring too much to the party where he keeps the opposition guessing. He's very predictable as a player. Um, and that's something that the Eels, you know, would have utilised him more off the bench rather than as a starting forward. But they just ran out of puff in that last 15 minutes and Harry Grant found his feet and decided to push them all backwards, as he always does. He's so bloody good at that and earned his money. He was quiet in the first half, though. Mm. I actually thought he was rather quiet in the first half, and I thought the Eels had done their homework just to make sure that he doesn't get as, as much ball when he um, makes those dummy half runs. But... When he was doing that and just pushing it back, it was like a game of touch footy, actually. It was like a game of touch footy where they, you play the ball so quickly that the markers don't even really know what's going on. And, yeah, I could tell with 15 minutes to go that it wasn't going to go, go the Eels' way. It's a long season, buddy. There's but, players to come back, and, and they'll find their, find their feet as, as they try and do throughout the year. And we've got the captain, fantastic. We, we love Gutho. He'll always be there. He'll, he'll die for us, Ricardo. Don't worry about that. Well, I was going to say on the on the flip side of of Harry Grant doing that is, uh, of course, Parramatta this year got Josh Hodgson at hooker. And I like him. Yeah, well, see, I, I think I think he is a player that you know is not going to run from dummy half, so it's easier to defend against. No, and we didn't see any of that, player. you know. And, and I think that the, the Eels yeah. will really miss Reed Marnie this season. Look, when I found out last year that Marnie was leaving the Eels, I thought he's the sort of player that's irreplaceable. I mean, people talk about the spine, but the most important position in rugby league at the moment is definitely the hooker, and it never used to be. It used to be that 6-7 combination, and that's always been my area of concern with the Warriors, that they haven't got that, not necessarily marquee number nine, but someone that can spark that fire from the nine. So I, I think it is the most important position. Once Marnie was gone, they had to replace him with someone I actually do like Hodgson. I, like, I think he's a safe player. What I like about his game, that I, that, um, in comparison to some other um, hookers out there, is his distribution. And his passing is really, really impeccable. And we saw that from one of the tries that I think he set up in, in the first half by drawing the defenders. So he's not as sparky. I mean, he's getting on. 32, isn't he? I think he's not he'll, as sparky as some of these other. He'll be 34 halfway through the season. Holy mackerel, man. He'll, he'll be hanging up the boots soon, let me tell you. They don't last long at that age. Um, But he's a clever player. He is a clever player. And his distribution is very, very good. His passing is on song. And um, I think he'll work very well with Gutherson at some stage uh, as they they start to get a bit of synergy as as it goes on. So, I mean, I regretted seeing Marnie go. And I thought to myself, maybe he was getting a bit old and you won't get those dummy half runs. But he can pass a beautiful ball and he knows where the ball should go. So... Hopefully, better things coming from Hodgson as the season progresses. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully so because uh, Reed Marnie was probably the dog's best player, uh, which which hurt even yeah. more. Oh. You know, uh, so there you yeah. go. Uh, what yeah, else stood out for you this weekend, gone, uh, Lavender, in terms of the NRL? Oh well, I wasn't that impressed with the Warriors game, the actual game, not the Warriors 
performance, but I, I just thought the um, the actual game itself didn't didn't really light light things up for me too much. But what I really loved about the Warriors was that line defence that they had, which I hadn't seen from the Warriors in several several seasons. I mean, you could have put money on last year um, when you've got an attacking side within 20 and you're under the pump and you've got a penalty against you, then the try would be scored. But they really scrambled in defence and they played for each other. You get a feeling that there's a really good unity and a nice culture there at the moment, um, whether or not that's come from Webster or just the fact that they're reveling in the fact that the Warriors can play at home now. You did get a feeling that they defended for each other and it wasn't just one out defence either. It had a bit of structure to it. The defence from the Warriors had structure, which they haven't had in the past either. So I was really pleased not just to get that um, eight-point win, but I was really, really pleased with the defensive look from them. And you know, they're looking down the barrel of maybe winning two in a row. And I don't think they've done that since round four or five last year. I know throughout their whole 28-year season career, the only time they've won the first two games has happened three times, I think, Ricardo. So it hasn't, you know, it's not something that the Warriors are used to. And, you know, they're taking on the Roosters and they've got a point to prove after being uh, humbled in the competition (laughs) in more ways than one. Um, so the Warriors, I guess, have named the same side and if they put in that defensive performance, it'll work great. Sean Johnson's kicking game is magnificent. I just love that high ball, how it spirals. The camera operator can't even keep up with it. Um, and it's an element of his game that he will use and target, and he's a clever player, he'll target those wingers that under the high ball have got the old yips and yours, and he knows who they are. Um, and it timed impeccably, not just with the height, but with the players coming through on attack as well. Um, and Nickel Clock said, I just think, it, you know, everyone was kind of losing their crap when Bruce Walsh was going to leave the Warriors. I wasn't too perturbed about it. I didn't see him as a long-term warrior um, or someone that the club would be proud of in, in several years to come. Um, and I really like Clockstad. I think he's got a great attitude. I loved him with the Raiders. I thought maybe being the journeyman that he would have played his best rugby league um, for the Raiders, but he slotted into that Warriors side very very comfortably indeed and they're just playing really good at the moment one game in so you don't have to get too excited and it wasn't the prettiest game of rugby league but hey they're top of the table Ricardo they're top of the table uh, top of the table actually Ben Francis our producer tonight said uh, the other day we were talking about the Warriors and he said you know that uh, uh, tackle that Chance Nickel Clockstead made over the line to hold up the the place crazy if that, if that Carlin was, Ponga, was yeah it? if that was Reese Walsh would have been a six-pointer yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he wouldn't have been strong enough to hold him up. That was great. Um, Ponga was there, like there and then. I just can't believe he didn't actually score that try. I just don't know how he didn't get the ball down. And I, I um, read today that Ponga was quite upset about being removed because the NRL have introduced some new rules. They introduce rules all the time. I'm like, God, it's all bull crap. Half the time, I think, God, they never get it right, never get it right. But I'm kind of liking the independent doctor thing. In the past, prior to this year, you could have your team doctor go, oh, no, Kalen Ponga, you're fine. Don't worry, you've got a concussion. How old are you? 12. Yes, yeah, sweet, mate, go back on. You'll be, you'll be fine. Get out there. Um, but he was removed by the independent doctor. And as a result of that, they certainly looked under the pump. And they weren't the side um, without Kalen Ponga. So I like that new rule by the NRL to introduce independent doctors in terms of head injuries to try and protect these players because they go back on. Like, Kalen Ponga could have gone back on and then just done some permanent damage to himself later on. So that that gets the thumbs up. And I certainly don't know how he didn't score that try, but it was magnificent um, defence from a fullback. that's probably done it 50 times before. And so often we see fullbacks and wingers, Ricardo, when the try scorers come in, what they try and do is push them out or off the line. You see it all the time, and that results in a try. 
but I loved the fact that Clock said instead decided just to get under the ball, just hold him up. You don't have to push him off the sideline. You don't have to push them back from the try line. Just get underneath it so they can't score. And he did it all on his own. It was a magnificent effort from him and, and backed up by another two um, line defensive efforts from the Warriors in a row as well. And I know they were playing against the side that, that was down on manpower and people can talk about the overlaps that could have been created by that. But it was the fact that their defence was so strong and they played for each other that gives me hope for the Warriors as they take on the Roosters. Yeah, well, and uh, the other thing that gives us hope is that uh, uh, no Matt Lodge, no uh, Jared Warrior Hargreaves this week. No Matt Lodge. Um, and there's <laughs> also some talk uh, that Joey Manu, while well, he's been named, his facial fracture is not fully healed, and that the cheese has got a play. Uh, the cheese has got a rib fracture apparently. Although they named him as well, so we'll have to see. They name everyone, don't they? Yep. I mean, they've named everybody. That's what they do. And they've, I mean, Joey Manu will not play, I don't think. You won't see him for at least another couple of weeks. And they do need him. Um, Warrior Hargreaves is the one that gives them so much go forward. And he's such an aggressive player. And he'll try and outmuscle um, the Warriors. That's what he does. He gets so aggressive. So um, if he's not playing, then they're, you know, looking a little bit weaker up front, but you know they're, they're scorned at the moment. They don't like facing defeat to the Roosters at the start of the season. They're an ego-driven team, um, and they'll do their best to to come back. And I think it'll be a really, really good battle. I think it'll be quite close, um, and I think it will be another defensive prowess game from the Warriors. And if they defended like what they did the other night against the Knights, then they're definitely with a really good chance to to topple the second team again and, and go to the top of the table with two wins. Yeah, that'd be that'd be uh, fantastic for the Warriors to start the season. I mean, what was the biggest surprise for you, Lavina? that the Dolphins upset the Roosters or, or that Matt Lodge is capable of having a head injury? <laughs> Goodbye, Matt Lodge. What a rat bag, hey? I was like, he gets a head injury every three metres. He doesn't even have to get tackled. I think he got the head injury at training, holding the bag. <laughs> That was the biggest surprise for me. I cracked up at that. He's a perpetual head injury dude, uh, Matt Lodge, and any team that wants to buy him is wasting their money on him because he won't even play a third of the season. Um, in terms of Bloody Wayne Bennett and the Dolphins, uh, I was quite—I didn't think they'd win their first match because for me, when you look at them on paper, Ricardo, they're like a bunch of has-beens and journeymen. That's what they look like on paper, honestly. And everyone's talking about Wayne Bennett. Let me tell you, Wayne Bennett doesn't talk. It doesn't matter what he does. He doesn't talk. But he certainly gets the best out of his players. So they must respect him in a way that no one else does. And I think over the years, what he's done um, remarkably has been with a forward pack that has been under underwhelming. And he's managed to turn that forward pack into, you know, a, a team that can just make so many yards and, and overpower the opposition. And I don't know how he does it, but he just gets the best out of his players and it comes down to such a knack. And he's got some players at the moment that are lining up for him that will probably have their best game or best season of rugby league in their career so that they can, you know, keep keep the super coach, master coach, Yoda or whoever, God, um, keep him happy. So, yeah, can you believe he's still going around? Oh, I mean, what is he, 98? Something 99? like that. 99? Yeah, easy. I mean, he, that, I think, the, hey. what, the, the, uh, I think the Broncos came into the competition in 1988 and he was the head coach then, yeah. so that's 35 years ago. Uh, which, yeah, which how about says, that? says something. Uh, how good was Felice Calfusi, though? Absolutely. That was, that well, was the best it. game that's of his in I'm the last few about. years, eh? But that's what I'm saying. That's what Wayne Bennett can do. He can bring the best out in these players and you know, that's probably the best I've seen him play for half a decade in terms of, you know, a consistent performance. And 
um, overpowering the opposition and just not giving up and being so determined. And there's this thing in rugby league, you can't train a heart. Like, you cannot do that in rugby league. The heart has to be there. But Wayne Bennett just has some way of turning that heart into something so powerful, Manawa Nui, and just making it so strong. And, and they have they show faith in each other and themselves and then, and then the confidence high. So it was good having a new team in the competition, though. I mean, that doesn't happen a lot in our lifetime. So I enjoyed watching and watching them play and, you know, dish it out to the Roosters, bloody another bunch of silver tails. <laughs> They'll probably go out and, you know, sell about 12 development properties somewhere and pay some of their extra players more money to win. That's how they roll, mate. That's how they roll. That's, that's how, how they roll. Manly's the bloody same. Isaiah Katoa uh, was the was the other one that stood out. The number six um, for, who who played at the World Cup for Tonga. Um, he had been, I think, at Penrith as a um, as a resi player, as a youth player as well, coming through. And so, uh, you know, there's another bloke who was at the Dolphins that I think maybe doesn't get talked about enough, and that is Christian Wolf because that surely is his call. Yeah, exactly. Without a doubt, especially since coaching the side overseas um, in Tonga. That was a, a very good call. I was a big fan of Christian Wolf getting the Warriors coaching role. Mm. I tipped him last year. I, I was hoping that he would have got it. Nothing, obviously, against Andrew Webster. I think he'll be great for the club and he's young and he, he comes, you know, with that backing of the attacking flair from the Penrith Panthers. But there's something about Wolf how he relates really well to his players, especially Island players as well. He has that great um, rapport with those Island players. And can bring the best out in them. So yeah, he would have he would have called that that shot. And apparently Katoa has been training crazy in the off season. Like you hear these rumours from journos overseas, and they're just going to some of the off season trainings, and they're like that kid has just not stopped. Like he wants to win every beat test, he wants to win every fitness test, and he he wants to be regarded as you know Mr Reliable. So he's got his chance, which is great, and he's already proven that you know he can have a big career in rugby league, which is exciting. And and the Dolphins are here. So, yeah, just another element to the game, which is quite cool. Shame they're from Queensland, though, mate. Another bloody Queensland team. Well, Good yeah, I, I had a guy, uh, Daniel Duncanson, on the show on Sunday um, who had been a Cowboys fan, had moved to Brisbane years ago um, and sort of supported the Cowboys from afar. Uh, but when the Dolphins got the the nod, him and a couple of mates were sitting around having a beer and they thought, oh, let's start a Facebook page called uh, Dolphins Fans The Pod. Uh, obviously, part of <laughs> Dolphins, right? And he thought, you know, we, we might get three, four, maybe 500 people who follow the page and we can all meet up for beers before games, that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, just before kickoff of their first ever game, 50,000 people. Oh, you're kidding. No. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I didn't think you'd say that number. Yeah, That's huge. incredible. And I asked Wow, him, I said, the hype's there, isn't it? Yeah, I said, well, sure. you know, I, I would have thought if you like league and live in Brisbane, you're a Broncos fan. He said, no, man, there's a, a lot of people that really do not like the Broncos that live in Brisbane, which really surprised me. Oh, wow. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, I don't like the Broncos. Can't stand them. Can't stand the smell of them, actually. Don't well, want to be around the Broncos. Well, but you know what, Ricardo? I've actually spoken to some Kiwi rugby league fans. Mm -hmm. Some mates I went to our workplace yesterday, the guy that follows rugby league his whole life and supported the Warriors his whole life. And he goes, do you know what, Lavina? I'm a Dolphin fan now. I'm like, what? Just because they beat the Roosters? Come on now. What? And he goes, no, I decided to support a new team this year. I've had my heart broken so often from the Warriors. And I don't really want to support another team that I've never been affiliated with. I'm going to support the Dolphins from the start of the competition. And that's him. He's, he's a Dolphins fan through and through now. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Kiwi. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that is something different. I did like uh, Wayne Bennett being 
you know, Wayne Bennett just does salty better than just about anybody else. And better the, than anyone. And yeah. in the press conference, uh, he managed to put in, oh, we had over 35,000 here for our first game at uh, Suncorp Stadium. And I remember back in 88, there was only just over 15 for the first uh, Broncos game. Um, so he even managed to slide that in there. So around four, yeah, I know. pencil it in. Round, round no, four at Suncorp is Dolphins Broncos, and the Dolphins are the home team. So the Broncos are going to be in the away dressing room. That is going to be great. In the oh lead up. God, yeah, yeah. Hey, so the um, the Broncos play the Cowboys this weekend. They're always close matches. Always like it when they play. Yeah, you know. So the Broncos I think got they're it. up against each other. Well, the Broncos did well to beat the Panthers, right? And then now they've got the Cowboys. And oh, then... we didn't expect that, Ricardo. We you and did. I have to be honest about that. We gave each other a little texty texty saying, "Yay, the Panthers put thirty points on the Broncos," and then I remembered that they lost Carousel and Kikau. Yeah. So without those two players, they're obviously 15 points less aside. Well, they look better with Sonny Luke um, rather than Mitch Kenny at, at hooker, so I'm surprised that Luke's been yeah, on the bench again, mm-hmm. to be fair. I thought, I thought they'd start him. But, uh, yeah, that might change. Yeah, that we'll have change. to see. All right, Lavina. Hey, listen, good stuff, mate. Always good to have you on. I, I, I love the fact that I oh, got mate. you on to talk NRL and International Women's Day, and we... Just talk NRL. So, um, I love that, mate. That's all it. I'm here for. You know that. <laughs> Good stuff, Lavina. Go well, mate. Thanks, Ricardo. Enjoy the rest of the evening, See you, eh? darling. See you, mate. Uh, Lavina, good there with us. It is 8.29 here on SENZ Extra Time. When we come back, we're going to talk some cricket with uh, two-metre Peter, Peter Fulton, the coach of Canterbury. It's 27 away from nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock and there's a test match starting tomorrow at Hagley Oval in Christchurch. Uh, the Sri Lankans are in town taking on the Black Caps and joining us to talk about this is uh, former uh, Black Cap himself and uh, one time uh, Black Cap uh, batting coach for a little bit in there as well. Peter Fulton, g'day mate, how are you? Mate, you're in, in, in Dunners. How's how's the Plunkett Shield treating you? That looks like a bit of a run fest there. Yeah, you know, it's been um, yep, it's been a pretty good wicket for the batters so far. So uh, taking a hundred and forty odd for two, needing four hundred and seventy on the last day tomorrow. So hopefully the forecast hasn't been hasn't been that good for tomorrow um, so far. So yeah, hopefully we get it. You know, we get a, a good day's play, and um, yeah, it should be. Should be sort of an exciting finish, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, mate. This this is where uh, Ish comes to the fore, right? I mean, he took three for 65 in the first innings. Surely the pitch is going to be even better for him tomorrow. Well, yeah, that's that's the plan. That's the plan. And, um, yeah, he's look, he's he's played the... This is the second Plunkett Shield game he's played for us so far this season. He's been a, he's been a real breath of fresh air, to be honest. He's been um, awesome around the group, and, and he's, he's batted and bowled really well. So, yeah, we're hoping to... Hoping to see something special from him tomorrow. That's for sure. Yeah, well, actually, I, I um, because I, you know, so used to seeing him run around uh, in in different colours um, further up the uh, the, the islands. Um, I forgot he was down there, mate. But th- does that explain the sixty odd that he got over in the subcontinent? It was a, a season under your tutelage? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, mate. That's the that's uh, that's that's the key, I think. Um, no, no, he's been um, no, he's, look, he's, he's worked really hard in his batting. Um, and he's, you know, he's made two or three good scores so far for us in the Plunkett Shield, and um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's something that he's, that he takes a lot of pride in. Um, he thinks, thinks a lot about his batting and, and, and wants to do well. So, yeah, it's nice to see, you know, he's, um, as I keep telling him, he's, he's 30 now, so he's, you know, he's sort of in that veteran sort of status now in the team. 
Um, so, so yeah, he's been he's been setting a great example for the other lads. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good, mate. Yeah, forty six off fifty four in the first innings too. So, uh, continuing the form with the bat, mate. We should talk the test. Uh, uh, the Black Caps named the same thirteen for the test against Sri Lanka. The first test against Sri Lanka. They named for the uh, second test against the Palms going into Hagley Oval. Did that surprise you a little bit? Uh, no, not really. Not really. Um, look, I think, yeah, the, re- the reality is, I think if that if that test at the basin against England had, had sort of gone had gone the way it was looking after maybe three days, um, I think then you might have seen some changes. But yeah, look, I think I think after after a win like that, probably you know, probably probably New Zealand's greatest ever test win. Um, yeah, I think you'd be. Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to to sort of make too many changes, and I think yeah, they've obviously gone with the the guys that got the job done in that game. And um, look, I'd expect that you know, I'd expect that Sri Lanka are going to find them going pretty tough at at Hagley tomorrow. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see what it does, mate. Because um, you know, one thing that I I was a bit surprised about at Bay Oval, um, and now now I, and I kind of thought maybe they learned from it, but is that they decided to take Cougar Line over Duffy, and they've done it again here. Um, and the reason I say that is because you know I mean he bangs it into the pitch all right, uh, but you've already got Tickner and, and Wagner in the in the in the um, squad that do that, and you've really only got one swing bowler in Southey. So I thought they might have called Duffy back in, particularly if you know there's a bit of cloud cover day one green pitch. Uh, it, it might it might have uh, offered them a little bit more in terms of variety. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think there's a case to you know there's a, there's a case there that you, you could sort of. Um, you could go that way, but again, um, yeah, they I guess they're sort of stuck stuck with the, the you know they've had a little bit of an opportunity in Tickner and Cougar line, um, but yeah, I think I look, I think Matt Henry will be Matt Henry will be a handful, Tim Southey will be a handful, Neil Wagner, um, I think will find it a little bit easier. You know, I don't think the Sri Lankans are going to be um, getting after him, getting after him the way sort of a couple of English batsmen did, so. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I would you would expect that Swank will find it tough, and, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if um, New Zealand have a reasonably com- comfortable victory. Do you know how Matt is? Because he he couldn't bowl towards the end of that English Test, could he? Because he, he he picked up some sort of niggle. Yeah, well, we we were coming back from uh, from from a Plunkett Shield game in Hamilton, and we had to fly through Wellington. We we were actually on the same flight from Wellington back to Christchurch as as Henners, and. Um, yeah, it was it was amazing actually because when he when he went down during that test on the last day he sort of yeah basically could hardly walk um, so yeah it sounded like it was a bit of a back spasm that sort of came on pretty quickly and and yeah disappeared just as quickly so um, yeah I'm, you know he's, look he's a he's a real gutsy cricketer um, and you know he would have I'm sure he would have been in the last sort of week to ten days doing absolutely everything possible to get himself right for for tomorrow. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of gutsy cricketers, um, you got to got to talk about Henry Nichols, I think, uh, because you know he's a bloke that hasn't hasn't had a lot of fun on the international scene the last sort of year and a half, two years, mate. Um, in terms of former, you know, I think his average has dropped uh, over that period; has been about thirteen, fourteen, something like that. So it hasn't gone great guns for him, but he's he's sticking it out, and and Gary Stead is stuck with him as well. Um, if you're in Henry Nichols' shoes at the moment, going into this first test against Sri Lanka, what's the thought process, and and what are the team doing around him and the coaches doing around him? Oh, look, I don't think they'll be doing too much different. I mean, you know, they'll just be like encouraging him, um, working, you know, working with him and 
and trying to trying to make sure that he he stays confident. I mean, I think actually in that test at the Basin Reserve, you know, he didn't get he didn't get a big score, but both innings he actually um, you know spent quite a bit of time at the crease and was just getting to that point where you know he was he was looking like he he was going to get himself going. So um, yeah, more more of the same, I guess, from 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 what he did in Wellington and. Look, it's you know it's one of those it's one of those things you can you can make the argument you know to leave a player out or um, you know you make you, you can you can go the other way and say well you know we're we're going to back them and and invariably if you do back them that's when you know that's when you get the best out of players so really pleased obviously from a Canterbury point of view to see him see him get a, another game hopefully and um, yeah he's had a lot of success at Hagley, so I won't be surprised if he makes a big score in this test match. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a thing because, you know, people were calling after the, the test at Bay Oval for, for Will Young to get an opportunity or Glenn Phillips to get an opportunity. Um, and Will Young did get the opportunity, but it wasn't, uh, I, I guess, what most of us expected. They they just played a bowler less and, and got some more overs out of uh, Daryl Mitchell. Um, I think that was designed purely for, for the baseball, uh, you know, to combat that and, and, and have some more runs in the team. Uh, what do you think the 11 looks like uh, tomorrow? Uh, yeah, look, I think I think maybe I think one of those bowlers, either Picknell or Kugeline, will play probably instead of Will Young. Uh, I think they'll go in with you know the four the four sort of out and out seam bowlers, um, and you know Michael Bracewell there as well is an option with the ball. Um, the wicket, I'm sure, would have a have a bit of grass on it. Um, but the weather weather in weather in Canterbury this year has been been really hot and dry. So um, yeah, like I said, if they get if they get some hot weather as well, then the the pitch may well flatten out as the game goes on. So, like I said, I'd expect they'll play Michael Bracewell too. Yeah, well, I mean, that, and that's another thing too, mate. I'll be interested to get your take on this because I think it's one thing that England showed us. Uh, in New Zealand conditions, the Black Caps have been um, very reluctant to select an out-and-out spinner, um, but the Poms did it with Jack Leach, and he, he managed to get wickets in, in both tests, uh, both at the Basin and at and Bay Oval. Um, do you think there's a lesson there for, for New Zealand cricket? Oh look, yeah. I mean, again, over the last sort of probably four or five years, you know, the Black Caps have had a lot of success in New Zealand. You know, predominantly by using you know pace bowling, um, or you know certainly swing and seam bowling. So, yeah, it's it's been probably hard to argue with their record over the last few years. But again, I think you you know what we probably saw against England was just it just showed the benefit of you know a team or a captain that's going to really back the spin bowlers. Um, you know, because of sort of 12 months ago, Jack Leach was, you know, he was really struggling in that England side. So it, I don't think it really matters whether it's whether it's spin or, you know, or pace. Um, you know, if you if you back your players and, and show confidence in them, then um, generally you get the best out of them. So, so I'm sure Tim Sowell will be looking to, you know, looking to sort of continue that as well. Uh, what's your take on Devin Conway's best position? Because obviously he's been, he's been opening, um, but you know, I've talked to Ken Rutherford previously, and he believes his best position is four. Um, what do you think? Is is he is he opening through necessity, or do you think he is more naturally a four? What's your take? Well, he, he probably opened through necessity when he when he first made the team because obviously Kane was at three and Ross Taylor was at four. So <clears throat> I guess the the, the the sort of the spot in the team and the way into the team was as, as an opener. Um, yeah, I think you I think you'd probably. You know, if you if you talk to Devon and he was, you know, he was completely honest with you, um, he probably he probably tell you he wants to bat three, is, is what I would suspect. But he's obviously not going to bat three with Kane. So, um, 
yeah, I guess there's again you can look at it both ways. His best spot maybe four, but you know what's his what's his best value for the at the moment for the Black Caps, and you know you can also make the argument that it's you know there's a there's a bit of a I guess there's a gap at the top of the order, and he's such a good player that. Um, it probably doesn't really matter where he bats. Yeah. Now, um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, and and I, I know uh, you've had involvement with the Black Caps and things as well, mate. But I, I look at this team, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people. Look at this team and see, uh, you know, they're all similar ages, and they're, they're kind of aging together. Most of them are now over thirty. Um, given that the World Test Championship defence is done, and we're playing a Sri Lankan team on our own backyard, who are also in a, in a bit of a rebuild. Uh, do you think there would have been the temptation to maybe try something different, try a few different players, blood a few players for the future? Um, well, like I, said, like I said earlier, I think if we'd lost that Test England, you know, and, and lost it fairly convincingly, then then we may have seen that. But you know, it's a it's a tough argument because obviously Test cricket's, you know, the I guess the still the you know the number one form of the game for most players. So. You don't want to. You don't want to necessarily just give away, you know, give away opportunities at that Test match level. Um, but look, I think in the next sort of twelve to eighteen months, that's probably an area where you know they might have to look at, like not necessarily making wholesale changes, but but bringing in, you know, maybe maybe a, a batsman, maybe a pace bowler. Um, who those players are, not too sure. But you know, that those sort of things just to just to make sure that. And maybe two or three times, uh, two or three years time. Sorry, then you know, when a few guys retire all at once, um, you know, we don't we don't sort of have a, you know, a, a really high turnover of players. Mm, yeah, that's uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's the feeling. You know, I think from a lot of cricket fans and and just wanting to to see what that uh, that plan is uh, going forward. But uh, I guess we'll see, mate. Uh, it's probably above our pay grade, is it? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I said, someone else can make those decisions. Um, like I said, as we all know, it's, a, it's an easy game watching from the outside. Um, you know, like I said, they've got some really talented, really quality players in that side, and um, you know, it's good to see them get a win against England and sort of um, you know quieten down a few people, and, and hopefully they can get a couple more wins against Sri Lanka. Yeah, indeed, mate. Indeed, I tell you what, I make a hell of a selector on the on, on the couch with a couple of beers in me. I'm sure you do. <laughs> Good stuff, Pete. Hey, listen, mate, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck tomorrow, day four of the Plunkett Shield. Um, hopefully you can go home with that W, eh? Yep, thanks, mate. Sounds good. Cheers. Uh, Peter Fulton there with us, uh, coach of Canterbury, course, our former Black Cap as well, and has uh, worked with Gary Stead as a batting coach as well. Get, good to get his take on the Black Caps, where they're at ahead of this Sri Lankan series. It is 13 away from 9. Uh, we're going to have more cricket, actually, uh, between now and 10 o'clock as well. Andrew Ellis is going to join us in the next hour. We're also going to hear from Blair Tickner, Shane Jurgensen, Neil Wagner and Matt Henry. What is it with the Black Caps? They're putting up all the bowlers. Uh, we'll hear some from some of them between now and 9.30 as well. It's nine away from nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11. Uh, I have looked up the weather uh, for Christchurch of the Met Service. Uh, apparently uh, showers tomorrow morning and afternoon. Um, should be fine Friday morning but some showers in the afternoon and Saturday, Sunday, Monday all supposed to be fine uh, Graham from Christchurch uh, come in uh, can you confirm? <laughs> well no the weather is beautiful here at the moment so it's um, quite a warm muggy evening and um, it did rain a bit this morning so you know with the weather forecast you know there might be a bit of interruption but I'd 
fingers crossed, you know, you get most, you know, I think you'll get more of the, I'm always a bit of a, um, those weather forecasts, they always they always predict rain all the time. I'm always arguing or disagreeing with people at the work at my work about that. But uh, I mean, you know, because I think it's going to be a bit of rain, but it won't be much. I think it, you know it'll be you'll probably get you know not 80 percent of tomorrow played. Hopefully, I mean, I, I really hope I'm right about that. You know, so so yeah, because uh, we've had a lot, even though it's been a hot, dry summer, as Peter Fulton said. Um, We've also had a bit of rain recently, so so yeah. But hopefully with the cricket, because you know the cricket fans, you know, have been a bit starved of it, um, especially the people that go to cricket this summer with with not much on, and, and obviously rains. And, you know, the we haven't had a lot of um, home games here, so yeah. No, all fingers crossed. So the, I I think they'll get a bit of game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm pleased Matt Henry's all right, and. Um, you know, he played very well along with, you know, Tim Southey and all those, and Neil Wagner. Those guys were just, you know, were heroes in that test win over the English. So, yeah, we need all hands on deck. Yeah, no, it should be good. And also looking forward to the Super Rugby coming up this weekend. So another interesting round. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's interesting from the point of view that uh saw that Fijian Drua side really take it to the Waratahs for about 15 minutes and then and then they got blown out in the last half hour. But they're back at home, first game of the season in front of their fans oh. as well. That's going to be that's going to be that's going to be a tough game for the Crusaders. Oh, it will be. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought admittedly I thought Friday night, um, you know, I thought I you know, the Highlanders I'd never um you know, people go, oh, you know, they're not very good in that. But, um, yeah, after they lost the Blues, but, you know, I thought it was going to be closer, but um, it was on neutral ground too. And the Crusaders did, did even though the, the Highlanders are going through a rough patch, to say the least, you know, they did play better. But the, the Fijian side at home will be a real, um, you know, that's going to be a toughie, I think. Um, but I think that they, you know, they, they'll want to, you know, they lost the big time first first up to the Chiefs and, um yeah, they'll they'll want to keep momentum going, you know. Um, you know, I imagine there'll be a few, you know, two or three changes, because that's the way the teams roll now. Because they've got big squads, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that, you know, Scott Barrett and the team on the field last Saturday, you know, last Friday night certainly produced a way better performance um, in spite of the Highlanders. Yeah, and what a difference you know, having quite... David Harvey and twelve made too, mate. I thought. Oh yeah, well it does. Yeah, I mean I, I'm like Justin Marshall. I, I'm totally uh, Jack Goodie's a centre. Yeah. Um, I, I mean he can play second five, but I think he's a better centre than he is a second five. Um, yeah, I think both the All Blacks and the Crusaders have flirted with the. Often it's because of injury too. You know, it was Lennon Brown out last year and that. But um, that, yeah, I prefer David Avili at second five. And even uh, was Braden started at centre last week, wasn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see who they pick this week. But uh, yeah, Havili, I, I like him at second five in terms of the Crusaders because he he just provides that that kicking and a bit of creativity too. Whereas Goodhue, he's he's out injured at the moment. Um, yeah, he just yeah, he I think he's more of a distributor and he's a good thinker too. But you know, hopefully he's not a, he's back in soon. But yeah, I, I agree with you about. Second five, I think Richie Mwanga plays a lot better with him at second. Those first second combinations, you know, mm-hmm. you go through rugby history, and in, in all countries, um, you know, they're often, you know, the players that play together a lot, you know, and, they, and you know, form those combinations. But yeah, it should yeah. be good. Like like Carlos Spencer and Lee Stensness. 
<laughs> no, I was thinking more Andrew Mertens and Mark Mayoff. <laughs> I thought you might your be. Time, before your time, Wayne Smith and Warwick Taylor. I mean, if you, if you can, maybe you can remember them. Yeah. Yeah, just no. about, mate, just about. Good stuff, Graham. Thanks for your call, buddy. Good man. Go well, okay, have mate. a great night, yeah, mate. Right. Uh, it is five away from nine here on SCNZ. We've got some more cricket chat coming up in the next hour. And we'll also hear the Wade Egan interview. The uh, Warriors hooker was on running it straight today. It was a great chat. You'll want to tune in for that. It's just gone nine o'clock here on SCNZ. This is Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you uh, coming up this hour. Andrew Ellis, uh, former Black Cap all-rounder, Canterbury all-rounder and captain as well. He is going to join us. We're going to talk a bit more about the Black Caps and where they're at at the moment ahead of the Sri Lankan Test Series. We'll also hear Wade Egan. He was on Running It Straight with Kempi and Sam today. We'll hear that because I think uh, there was some really good stuff that came out of that. He was probably uh, the Warriors' best player in the opening round against uh, the Newcastle Knights as well. And we've got time uh, for more of your calls on 0800 150 as well. But I thought we'd start this out with Matt Henry. Uh, he is a player that, as you know, Peter Fulton said, suffered that back spasm. Uh, things haven't been going um, to, uh, in Wellington. Didn't go that well from the last day of the test. Uh, sounds like he's going to be all right now, but he did talk to media today. This is Matt Henry ahead of the test starting tomorrow. Yeah, no, it's always exciting to come back home um, here to Hagley, so we'll be looking forward to getting into it tomorrow. What are you expecting from the wicket? You're obviously a Canterbury man. What are you expecting from day one wicket here at Hagley? Yeah, I haven't actually been out there had a look, but um, yeah, you'd expect to hopefully have some bounce in it. Uh, traditionally, there's a bit of assistance, especially in day one here, um, but traditionally it's also a good wicket as well, so we know that uh, we will have to be accurate and, and bowl well, but um, there's still plenty of runs out there too. And pretty fond memories for you, that first test against South Africa here last year. What do you remember about that special day? Yeah, no, it was a um, yeah, pretty special moment, um, and it was, it was great to obviously get that win. Um, but yeah, that's a wee while back now, and we're looking forward to um, hopefully having a good day out here tomorrow. And how's the back for you? Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, been doing some work um, since uh, Wellington, so uh, should be fine and fit, good to go. So how painful was that in, in the basin, like um, on a scale of 1 to 10, like was it pretty, you know, how bad was it for you? Um, I was alright, yeah, just uh, wasn't ideal, just had a bit of a back spasm and um, yeah, thankfully uh, with the physio and the work of the team we managed to get back out there and, and get through it, so um, yeah, we're on the other side now, which is great. So when you went off before lunch, were you thinking that that could be it for you for the test match? You were in sort of a lot of discomfort when you left the field? Yeah, a little bit worried, but um, yeah, thankfully we uh, managed to keep standing up and then get, get out there for the next spell and um, yeah we, we got through it was fine and ended up being a, um, a pretty exciting test match to be a part of so um, yeah glad we could get through it. So how pivotal was the physio was he the secret man getting back on the secret park? man yeah physio um, yeah has, all credit has to go to him. And so how's fatherhood trading you getting any sleep at the moment? Yeah no um, it's been awesome Annabelle's been um, just a wee gem so yeah no we're um, really happy at home and um, it's pretty cool to be back here home playing test cricket too. So will she and Holly get out to the, the cricket over the weekend? Is yeah, plan? fingers crossed. If uh, yeah, well the weather looks beautiful, so hopefully she can uh, yeah pop on down and, and see what it's all about. How do the guys reset after the highs of the basin and that, that um, throwing win? You know, one of the best cricket games in, in history. Have the guys talked about that and sort of resetting for Sri Lanka? Um, yeah, I mean it's always it's always great when you have um, those moments, and I, I suppose when you. Yeah, you play cricket, you want to, for it to come down to the wire like that and, and be tested in all, all five days really, the, the ebbs and flows of that game were um, yeah, quite extreme, so um, yeah, look, fantastic to come off the back of that, but with the nature of cricket being a quick turnaround, um, all our focus kind of turned to Sri Lanka pretty soon after. Man, how's the bowling group kind of um, regrouped and adjusted considering you're not playing England, a, a more aggressive kind of batting lineup. Uh, 
How have you adjusted ahead of Sri Lanka? Yeah, Sri Lanka will pose different challenges, um, and I've got a strong batting lineup as well. So, um, yeah, obviously it'll be a different way, and, uh, but um, there's something that I think this group we talk a lot about is adapting out there and, and assessing the conditions and how we're going about. We've obviously got our plans and how we want to um, approach the game with the, the specific players, but um, we, once you get out there on the wicket, a lot of things can change, and it's, it's a lot of it is kind of out there in the, on your feet. Mm. Quite a surface at Hagley as well. I mean, that must be something that, the, that excites the bowlers as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I'm from here, but yeah, I always love playing here at Hagley. That extra bounce is usually uh, great, so fingers crossed the groundies have uh, looked after us. There you go. That is Matt Henry uh, talking ahead of tomorrow's test match, uh, first test of two against the Sri Lankans, also on board today with the media, was Black Caps bowling coach Shane Jurgensen. They've got a bit of a decision to make, uh, as we heard from two-metre Peter, Peter Fulton. He, he believes they will play a spinner here because uh, it has been pretty hot and, uh, you know, it will it might flatten out, so you need a spinner. So be interesting to see what they do with the bowling group. Sounds like Matt Henry is fit. Sim Tauvi will play, probably Wagner, and then it'll be one of Tickner or Kugeline. Be interesting to see which, they go, which way they go, or do they try and get... More overs out of Daryl Mitchell and playing extra batsman. All of these things up in the mix. This is what Shane Jurgensen had to say about it today. Yeah, Shane, um, have you guys finalised the 11? Is, is Blair Techner where he come in for maybe Will Young? Oh, I think that's still being considered. There's plenty of options. I mean, playing at Hagley, uh, usually it leans towards more, more seamers, but at the same time, you know, Bracewell's done a great job for us and taken some very valuable wickets. So, yeah, I think all the options are still on the table. And just with Hagley, are you expecting a pretty typical surface here with good pace bounce carry? Yeah, I think so. I think the um, the preparation of the pitch looks like it's a, a typical Hagley pitch, no doubt. And, yeah, looking forward to being back here. It's always nice to come back, one of my favourite grounds. And, yeah, always nice to see uh, pace and bounce when you're a former fast bowler yourself. Fast medium, actually, sorry. Just with this series, I mean, how, how tough has it been for the group to reset, obviously, after the highs of last week? And what we know, and it was an extraordinary test. Um, has it been difficult for the group to reset for Sri Lanka? Oh, I think not difficult at all, really. I think it's been great. Uh, it was an important win for us uh, as, a, as a team, as a collective, and I think uh, always good to get one up over England. They've played well against us recently, and uh, it was a great series. And I think for us, you know, we have a lot of pride in our test cricket, and uh, that certainly has stood out, I think. And, you know, coming together this week, we've, we spent some time together to reflect and had some time at home before we came here. So, yeah, definitely uh, easy to come back together and play test cricket because, you know, we really enjoy playing, particularly at Hagley. How important is it for the group to really hopefully finish the, the test part of the end of the summer strongly, you know, the, closing mm. out this part of the World Test Championship? Yeah, I think it's it's important for us because, you know, obviously being the previous uh, winners of the uh, World Test Championship, you know, we, as I said, we've got a lot of pride in our test cricket and have for a while, particularly in our home country. Um, and for us, it's just making sure that, you know, Sri Lanka are, are in a good bit of form or good form in test cricket, and we need to make sure that we, you know, they're going to be a formidable challenge for us in our conditions. And I think for us, it's just making sure that we play to our strengths um, in this series, and but and also important that, you know, make the necessary adjustments throughout the, you know, the days of each game. Yeah, Matt Henry was just talking to us before. I mean, what have you made of his bowling over the last 12 mm. months since he's sort of become, you know, part of the New Zealand team rather than sort of, I guess he's been in the squad, but maybe on the outer a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic how he's he's come in for us. His new ball bowling, uh, you could see last game how he, he's you know no doubt is a, is a really big threat for the op opening batters of the opposition or any batters really. But obviously his new ball bowling has been a strength of his for a long time. He's done that through white ball cricket and 50 overs to, for the World Cup, and and now to bring that to the Test arena has been fantastic for him. And what was it like for you when when he sort of went down off that back at the base and like were you thinking that maybe that was it for his 
you know, part in the test? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was worried. Yeah, it was, it was awesome comeback. Great job from the physio and the medical team to get him back out there. And I think, uh, you know, it also shows for, for Matt, he's been through a lot, lot of hard times. He's been through injuries and, you know, his threshold for injury is quite high. So it, it, it would take a, a serious injury for, for Matt to be able to not bowl. And I think, you know, it's just showed you how strong he is mentally to come up and did a great job for us in that, that last session. Shane, what does um, the Sri Lankan um, the Sri Lankan players at the crease uh, in terms of a challenge? What, what do mm. they pose, uh, especially for a, a bowling group that is a little bit uh, less experienced? I guess. Well, I think for us, for them, uh, they played well against us in Wellington. So it's definitely you know, a few years ago. I think it was nearly four years ago now. So it's been a while. But you know they've got a, they've had a settled sort of test lineup, particularly in their batting for quite a while now. So. They've got batters that have performed very much all around the world, and I think that's going to be the challenge for us: is making sure that you know they have as less impact as possible, and they've been playing good cricket. So, yeah, no doubt in terms of the World Test Championship standings, they're they're, they're right up there. Um, so, yeah, no doubt we you know we're very respectful of you know the challenge that they pose for us. As bowling coach, you must be quite satisfied seeing the bowling group kind of turn things around after being put on put under pressure during the English series so to turn it around, especially on that last day of the basin? Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic to, to see the adjustments that we made. Um, you know, something that we probably haven't normally considered is the way that Tom Blundell's keeping has been absolutely outstanding for us. And for him to come up to the to the, the stumps and basically make England have to change their game. And that's, that's the stuff that I love as a bowling coach is when we can make those adjustments in the game and, 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 and for us, for our bowl, that's a, that's a new thing to not do in our conditions and, you know, it's absolutely fantastic from Tom, Tom to uh, come up to the stumps and, you know, just create a different sort of style of way that we need to take wickets. Yeah. You mentioned just before um, Sri Lanka and their um, standings and the, the World Test Championship. Does it, do you think, considering where they are, does that make them more dangerous to them? Oh, definitely, they'll be sort of hung, hung, definitely hungry for success, and you know I think they've had you know a good sort of you know we look back to Wellington. I said four years ago they played extremely well, and I think for us we need to make sure that you know we, we're on our A game, and you know there'll be a challenge for us. But I think for us, still in our conditions, we we'd like to think that we you know we play to our strengths, and we just focus on what we need to focus on. That's that's, that's basically all we can do is control control our game. Looking back on the England test, yeah, how yeah. were you while watching those closing overs, knowing it was your group out there essentially with the with the game in their hands? Oh yeah, it was it was frightening. Yeah, it was <laughs> I was we were, it was really cool though at the end. So it was the was it three coaches and the manager so it was just literally just us in the change room you're sort of always as a coach you're sort of thinking okay will they go to this or what's the best option what's the best length to bowl right now we're sort of asking the questions and it's great to sort of see when we talk about what we might consider as an option tactically and all of a sudden they start to do it and that was what was, you know, the Wags' spell to revert to sort of putting them on the back foot with his bowling and it, and it seemed to pay off. And then, yeah, so, you know, we, we know that sometimes Neil Wagner gets wickets in different ways in, uh, that is not so much traditional for Test cricket. And, but, yeah, that's certainly the way that it finished. You know, we probably weren't expecting a glove down leg side, but that's, at the same time, it was, it was fantastic. And, yeah, there was certainly a moment amongst the coaches uh, for a few seconds we were embraced because it was pretty cool to be part of. There you go. Uh, that is Shane Jurgensen, the Black Caps at Bowling Coach, uh, talking ahead of the first test against Sri Lanka that starts tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock.
against uh, at Hagley Oval and uh, be interesting to see what the makeup of that team is. It is uh, 12 past nine. When we come back, Andrew Ellis joins us, uh, former Canterbury captain, all-rounder and black cap as well. We'll get his take on things in Canterbury ahead of that test. You're on SENZ. This is Extra Time with Ricardo Ball. And joining us out of Christchurch is uh, former Canterbury captain and black cap, Andrew Ellis. How you doing, mate? All good, Ricardo. Yes, very good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, mate. Uh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Now, we've got a test match starting at Hagley tomorrow. Uh, what's the weather likely to do, mate? What's it looking like there? Yeah, no, not too bad. Um, Norwest today, so very dry and quite warm, but a little bit of, bit of cloud cover. So I'd expect there would be... Um, a bit of movement, I think, when the uh, when there's cloud there, but there could be, if it's a clear sky, then I'd say it could be some nice batting positions. But it's always it's always a bit there early on for the bowlers at Hagley with a bit of bounce. So um, yeah, probably I'd, I'd expect a yeah a, a bowl first on the toss. Yeah, or yeah, it could be fifty fifty. <laughs> yeah, just to depend what the weather's up to, eh? Um, what do you make of uh, the team that Steady has named, uh, the 13-man squad, uh, for this? Because, as you said, you know, Hagley early on can, can move a bit, particularly if there's a bit of cloud, but uh, decided to keep um, uh, Kugeline in the squad and not have Duffy, which I thought was a mistake at Bay Oval. Looks like they're doing it again. Yeah, yeah, and I guess it will, will all depend on how green that is at the start. Um, the other thing they, they might have looked at is, you know how how long or how valuable the seeming part is within a Hagley Test match. Um, I'm sure they may have looked at that and gone, well, you know, a day's worth or of seeming, even to most three quarters of a day, uh, doesn't quite stack up for possibly you know two uh, one and a half innings of, of someone providing some bounce as a as a as a faster bounce bowler, which Kugline would provide. So he might come into it more in the in the second innings when when they you know when it flattens out a bit and they need people to you know to, to bang it in and, and hit a length and possibly create some uncomfortableness for the batsman. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, okay, I, that, that's interesting. I mean, I kind of look at it and they go, well, you've got Wags who can do that, you've got Blair Tickley mm. who can do that. Do you need three of them? Yes. Yeah, well, that's true, man, and that that is the, probably that balance of the team. Um, and and obviously the, they may not play one of those. They might go with, with Mitchell again, maybe. Um, but yeah, I guess we probably all love to see a spinner in there somewhere. <laughs> um, but uh, but that won't be the case either on on this on this uh, test match. No, it won't be. I mean, I I did like um, you know I mean all the talks about baseball, but it wasn't so much what they did with the bat in hand, but the fact they take a specialist spinner into every test, regardless of where they're playing, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, we saw mm-hmm. exactly what Leach could do um, at the basin and and what he did at Bay Oval, and and both times New Zealand didn't take a specialist spinner into either of those tests. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, and and it's probably bigger than just a team selection. It's probably more of a culture shift, um, you know, with the New Zealand cricket from a from a way of playing that's been so successful for us for a long time. Um, you know, it's maybe looking at does the next ten years, you know, do what is going to be our, our method and, and how are we going to bowl teams out? Do we need to go back to having a spinner you know, or, or grooming a spinner? Um, to be effective and take, you know, three to five wickets a test match. Um, you, you know, to achieve those, if we're not going to have the Trent Bolts and the Tim Southies, um, you know, the Neil Wagners, 
you know, a very, very resilient bowling attack can bowl many overs. Um, not, you know, the injury rate was low. Um, you know, if we're not going to have that, how are we going to take the 20 wickets? What's going to be our game plan? Because we can't just probably, you know, Kyle James is not going to, not going to give us, you know, 30 overs a day, 25 overs a day consistently um, with the type of frame that he's got and, and, and likewise with some of the other younger ones coming through. So, yeah, I'd like to see a spinner in the long-term plans. I think a lot of people in the New Zealand cricketing public would from a spectator's point of view. Um, but, yeah, it might have to be more of a long-term thing as opposed to a, a short-term thing. Yeah, all right. We'll keep an eye on that, mate. Um, uh, otherwise, yeah, unchanged, uh, I, I guess... If there's one guy that maybe is a little bit unlucky not to feature, it might be Glenn Phillips, particularly the, uh, I know you know him well, but Henry Nichols hasn't been in great nick with the bat for the Black Caps for the last couple of years. Um, what do you what did you make, what do you make of his, uh, them keeping him in the squad? Yeah, um, I mean, I do know him well. And if, if, if I was going to back anyone to get through this patch and come out the other side, it would be him. Um, one of the most mentally strong uh, cricketers that I've probably played with. Um, and he's shown that he can do it at this level. And so I think he's worth persevering with, um, particularly if there are others sort of carrying him through, which is always better um, if, if you do have, you know, which they did in the last Test match. Um, but, yeah, I mean, batters love. Batters perform best when they have that security of their spot. Mm. And I know that doesn't last forever. Um, but it's it's really important to create an environment because that's, that's what Brendan's done with the, the English. You know, he's taken away the fear of failure for them. And whilst that will, it will always be, I mean, Christmas aren't dumb, but, you know, minimising that so that they go out there and play to their natural talent, then we'll see that coming out. So I'm hoping they're going to give Henry some, um, you know, good messages. Uh, I, I think I'm not so sure personally that Glenn Phillips his technique translates to the longer form of the game as well. Um, I think definitely there's an area sort of around half stump high coming through on the front foot where I think if teams see that, they can exploit him, where he's, he's great with that ball coming up off the length and back of the length and get his hands through it. But I think once they can get into that knee roll area consistently, I think there's an area there for him to be exploited. I guess you know you've you've performed leadership roles in teams. You've been a captain and 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 part of senior leadership groups. I guess there's a, a fine line. You know, you talked about the uh, no pressure environment that uh, Baz has created with England and that, that taking the fear away. It's got to be a fine line between that and being comfortable, uh, too comfortable, knowing that you're not going to get dropped. Right? I mean, how do you manage that as a leader? Yeah, and I think that's just knowing your people. Um, and, you know, someone like Henry Nichols is such high standards of, of sort of self-motivation that you never really have to fear those types of things. And, I mean, you know, there, there'll be I played with cricketers over the years that do that fall into that sort of lifestyle cricketer mentality, you know, where they do get complacent. But very hard, you know, not often do the players get to the uh, international level with that type of characteristic. So that intrinsic motivation, which is the most strongest, that's the one that actually sustains excellence. You know, that is there in spades and Henry Nichols. So I would have thought ensuring he's got what he needs to perform would be the first priority. And we all know there's a limit to that. You know, it is professional sport. There has to be accountability at some point. Um, but yeah, I think if he 
if we think he's the right one, um, then I, I would persevere as long as possible. What about, um, and, and this is something not to do with any particular player, just looking at the squad in general. You know, I, I look at the squad at the moment and think, you know, it's it's ageing together um, and they're all yeah. pretty much all over 30 now. Um, yeah. I thought this, given, you know, the, the World Test Championship's done, right? We're, we're not going to be able to defend it. Sri Lanka no. are, are in a rebuild uh, as yeah. well. This might have been an opportunity off the back of the England series to try a few things, to give a few guys a go. Um, are you surprised yeah. that Stead hasn't done that? Um, maybe, uh, you know, I know they'd be doing campaign plans and things like that within the organisation. Um, he'd be presenting, you know, purposes for each, you know, what he wants to get out of each tour. Um, that would probably, uh, until without seeing those, it, it's hard to second guess. But I hear, I know what you're saying, Ricardo. I mean, even you talked about that spinning aspect, you know, it would have been good to, to maybe see someone, you know, get a bit of a taste and see if there is a another string to the bow, New Zealand cricket coming up in the next few years. But yeah, but then on the other hand, you know, Test match cricket, um, if the value of that for New Zealand cricket is the pinnacle for our game, and then they they like to keep the integrity of that team high. You know, players might be yeah, blooded in, you know, through the other format, but the, the integrity of the Test match game is, um, you know, and I'm a and I. You know, I think I'm a fan of that. It is the pinnacle. And having those, making sure that if you're playing, getting the test match cap, then you have really, really deserved it. So, yeah, it's a fine balance. Um, but, yeah, I think with a nod to the future, um, yeah, maybe we might see that coming over the next year or so. Who knows? Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye, mate. Uh, now, uh, you know, guys like Colin de Gronholm have done well at Hagley in the past. You know, uh, you know, slow to medium paces, but you know, very much um, seam bowlers. I guess yeah. Daryl Mitchell fits that that uh, for this test. He could be very important on on that front. Yeah. I, I still fe- I still think of him as an all rounder who should be at sort of seven rather than I think I think he bats too high in our test lineup particularly. Uh, where are you on that? Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think he's. Yeah, to me, I, I think he's a nice number six. Um, he's an excellent batsman. He 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 is a very very good batsman. Um, good technique, plays off both feet um, very well. Combative. Um, you know, has shown he can score runs in international cricket. You know, in all formats, and he can show he can score runs. You know, when when it's hard. So. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if again thinking long term, if he's your number six and uh, and we're able to fit a spinner in there, and he can bring those bowling skills up to perform like we have had from a Colin de Gronholm, it's a hell of a balance, you know, to the team. And I know when, you know, when I was playing for Canterbury and then in that number six role, it really did allow those selection conversations to widen a little bit. And have those other options around playing a spin bowler or even two spin bowlers sometimes um, when you had that number six as able to bowl some overs. All right, mate. Well, uh, just before we let you go, what are your thoughts then? Uh, I, you know, the Sri Lankan team played a couple of a couple of days uh, cricket at Lincoln against the New Zealand eleven, um, and and as I said, you know, they've got some young guys coming through. They're redeveloping at the moment. Uh, what success for New Zealand in this series? Yeah, I mean, after the standards that have been set, really, and particularly at home, um, I think we'd be looking for, for, for wins, wouldn't we? I, I think we'd be expecting them 
um, to, to clean up the Sri Lankans. And I think with the the uh, the test match just gone, their confidence gained from that. Uh, I think uh, yeah, they'll they'll be on a reasonable high, and uh, and yeah, looking looking to get a um, you know a series win and uh, maybe a clean sweep. Yeah, all right, good stuff. Andrew, thanks very much, mate. I really appreciate your time. I hope you managed to get uh, some time down at Hagley so you can sit on the bank, have a cold one, and enjoy it. That would be nice. Yeah, thanks, Ricardo. 27 away from 10 here on SENZ. This is Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you. Uh, good to hear uh, from Andrew Ellis there and get his take on where the Black Caps are at ahead of this test series against the Sri Lankans starting tomorrow at Hagley Oval. Now, uh, there's a show on a Wednesday afternoon between 3 and 4 here on SENZ called Running It Straight. It is a rugby league show, uh, particularly around the uh, One New Zealand Warriors. Uh, that is the main focus. And uh, they had Wade Egan on today for uh, a chat. And Ben, I think we both agreed uh, on Monday when we did our NRL wrap that Wade Egan was probably the pick of the Warriors players from the first round. Yeah, definitely probably one of his better performances in a Warriors jersey. And like I, I touched on the dummy that he threw before he scored that try. It was so good. It was such a good dummy. I loved it. Yeah, mate, it was, uh, it was fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that um, Harry Grant, the Melbourne Storm hooker, has said that he watches Wade Egan games, watches Wade Egan play and models his game on that. I find it quite interesting because people say talk about Wade Egan but I kind of feel like that with Wade Egan he's going to be a player that the Warriors will lose one day and we won't appreciate him until he's gone mm -hmm. because he he's always copped a bit of slack but I don't necessarily think it's always Wade Egan's fault it could be to do with the game plan it could be just to do with the way the Warriors are going forward and it's just not working and he doesn't get those opportunities to, to run and but he's clearly been working on his game and it's really weird because everyone, lots of people in Australia rate him highly, but we just don't seem to have that same respect. I I thought he was going to win the Warriors, uh, the Simon Mannering medal last year. I was adamant on it. I was I was would have bet my house on it. I was that confident. I don't own a house, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I, know what you, I know what you're saying. But he, he didn't win it. And I was shocked that he didn't win it because I thought he was probably one of the better players. But I kind of get the feeling, as I said, that we probably won't truly appreciate what he did in a Warriors jersey until he's gone. Yeah, I, I, I think that's um, that's a really good point. And uh, yeah, you said he's been getting a lot of raps. I, I remember when he was signed from Penrith by the Warriors, and I don't know if it was around the signing or if it, it had just happened pr sort of previously that year. But Andrew Johns said he's the hooker most like a young Cameron Smith that I've seen. Yeah, which is really high raps. You probably can't get much better than that, as a especially in that position in rugby league. But a who said it and b who they've said it about. Right? Yeah, true. But yeah, Wade Egan probably his best performance in a Warriors jersey. So I think with the the curious case with the Warriors heading into this weekend is how they back it up. So we'll be keeping a close eye on Wade Egan to see can he produce a similar performance against the Roosters. Can someone like Chansey Klugstad back up his great performance? Can Tohu Harris continue his strong start? Can the halves combinations continue to develop? So very interesting times, but yeah, Wade Egan, fantastic. There was actually uh, someone, I think it was Sam, posted on the Warriors Anonymous Facebook page and said, have you got any questions? And I wanted to say, could you ask Wade if he could run it straight at you? <laughs> that I'd like to see. Yeah, like we just get every guest every week, just try, the, just your challenge is you've got to run it straight at Sam. Yeah, I like it. I like it. We can film that and put it online.
Oh, mate, great social content. People would love it. Yeah, well, I think we should sell salmon on that. You'll get a sponsor, eh, on yeah, board. Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> Chemist Warehouse. They do stuff for bumps and bruises, right? Because you'll be, you'll be getting a few, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, let's have a listen then. If you missed this, uh, you can also go to the SCNZ podcast page uh, to check it out. But here it is. This is the chat today from Running It Straight with Wade Egan. Yeah, it was good, mate. Um, obviously, it's always good to, to win the first round. And, um, yeah, a few things to work on. But uh, we'll take the two points after after round one and look forward to the roosters. It's a pretty uh, crazy weekend across the NRL, Wade, with uh, the Dolphins upsetting the Roosters, the, the Broncos tipping up the Panthers, who, who of course are back-to-back uh, premiers as well. A lot of change in the off-season. Does it feel like, from a player's perspective, that the, the comps really tightened up this year? Yeah, I think so, mate. Obviously, with the new team coming in and, um, you know, lots of player movement and stuff like that, um, guys retiring and, you know, the new kids coming through. It's sort of, um, I think, yeah, this year it looks like a much more even comp, um, yeah, as you said. We've talked a lot about uh, the win on Friday night already uh, against the Knights across the show uh, and, the, and the other shows earlier this week. But I just wanted to talk about um, your game specifically. I thought you were one of the best on Friday night. And I think what I've sort of seen in your game over the, over the last few years is just the constant improvement year on year. You're with the, third, uh, with the club for the third year, uh, fourth year, sorry. Um, in terms of your evolution and development, how do you feel your game sort of adapted and changed over the last few seasons? Yeah, mate, I think, um, yeah, just constantly working on my game and, um, yeah, just trying to improve, as you said, and looking at the locks of um, Harry Green, you know, Appy Torresau, um, Damian Cook, and, and just sort of studying their games and trying to add things into my game that that I can. And, um, yeah, I think that's really helped me. Um, and I'm just starting to feel more comfortable. Obviously, it's my um, my sixth year now in the, in the game. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a lot of confidence um, sort of in now. We talk a lot about um, craftiness when, when we're talking about hookers, uh, the ability to sort of read a defence, work out when to go yourself, when to pass, where to sort of direct your troops. Uh, how much of, of that is built off, I guess, experience, your time in the NRL uh, and reading the game as it plays versus, you know, you spending time studying a team week in, week out and trying to work out those weaknesses before game day? What's the balance like? Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. Obviously, um, you got to study the opposition when you're when you're a spine member, and you got to sort of work out game plans and that. And um, yeah, playing in the league for a couple of years, now, you obviously just pick that up, and um, yeah, you can sort of work out what you want to do um, before you get to the ruck and stuff like that. So um, yeah, but it's still constant learning, you know, mate. Um, I watch a fair bit of footy, and I just try and yeah, as I said before, study the likes of other players and um, see if I can pick up any things, and um, yeah, study the defense as well and see sort of what tendencies they put. It's funny that you mention uh, you're studying other players because I remember a, a quote that came out, it might have been last year or, or a year before, about uh, Harry Grant apparently modelling his game or, or watching you playing your game. So there must be a bit of sort of symmetry between all of you hookers sort of doing the same role. Yeah, I think it might, I think it might be the other way around. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it was sort of, yeah, because well, he's probably the best on the half in the league. So, mm. um, yeah, if he's taking anything from my game, it's sort of... Um, yeah, it's pretty good to hear. But, um, yeah, I, I sort of model my game off, off the likes of him and uh, his craftiness around the ruck and the way he runs and mm. always um, in the game. So, People uh, often talk about hookers doing damage off the back of a good pack. You know, a, a getting good go forward from the forward sort of helps your job become a little bit easier. Just for us sort of amateur fans and viewers out there, can you explain how your role sort of changes if the forward pack maybe isn't quite on top of the opposition? Uh, yeah, I guess it, I guess it sort of is. Um, you know, the forwards are critical to the to the dummy halves. You know, the best packs that have sort of been in the game the last couple of years are the Storm and Penrith and stuff like that. So it does help. But um, if you're not sort of getting that ruck seat, that's where you, you sort of try to try to be a game manager, I guess, and um, try and get the boys across the park to to do that, deliver that ruck speed. So 
Um, yeah, it does impact, um, I guess, my game a little bit if we're not on top in the in the four pack department. But I think with the pack we got this year, we we should be um, you know winning the four battle most weeks. Hopefully, mm. with the likes of Murata, Adam, Mitch Barnett. Um, Tohu Harris and, and stuff like that. So, mm, nah, Very exciting signs uh, on Friday night, mate. I've got a couple of questions in here that uh, from the listeners who who text through on, uh, on double eight double three and on Facebook as well. Uh, Greg wants to know um, how the club is developing other nines in the system and, and who should we keep our eyes on for sort of a p- potential star in the future? Um, yeah, I've actually they've got a young kid in SG ball that um, played a couple of weeks ago. He's just a wrecking ball. I seen him do a, a chip chase and uh, um, he bumped the fullback off. So I, I guess he's a. I think his name's Etu. He's um yeah he's way too developed for an eighteen year old. I was about sixty kilos when I was eighteen. So, um, but yeah, he's, he looks like a good promising um, young talent. Um, you obviously got Freddie there as well. Mm. Um, you know, great bloke, great player. So um, yeah, we got we got a fair few nines and even um, Dylan Walker can play there as well. So. Um, we're, we're pretty sort of stacked in that department, I guess, this year, which is which is a good thing to have. Do you get to spend much time with them, Wade? Do you sort of get to take them aside and mentor them a little bit? Um, yeah, a little bit. I guess um, in the preseason stuff, you sort of work on that things. You sort of in positional groups, and um, yeah, you're all sort of trying to make each other better, which is which is a great thing to have. I think we have that um, across a number of positions this year, which is which is really good. Mm. Shane uh, has asked, uh, who of the new recruits has impressed Wade the most on and off the field? Oh, they've all been really good. Um, I think Chance is probably the one on field. He's just been he was outstanding last week. He got uh, he he got three points, I think. So he was um man of the match. He had a great game and but all of them have been really good, mate. Um, you know, Mitch Barnett um brings that toughness edge. Um, Dill Walker, he's um just outstanding off the field, great to have in the group and you can see when he's impact off the bench, and then you got um Big Murata as well. That's just that uh locked down that right edge and he's just a yeah, force we reckon with. He's just He's got so much experience and he's come from a great system, so he's really good to have as well. Shane also asked, uh, where does Wade see himself in five years' time and is it still with the Mighty Warriors? <laughs> oh, five years. Jeez, I, I'd love to take it a day at a time, not five years at a time. Um, yeah, mate, obviously, yeah. I actually don't know where I see myself in five years. I'm just sort of trying to, yeah, live in the, um, in the present and take it sort of year by year and game by game, so... I haven't really thought that uh, that's far down the track, Shane. Sorry, mate. It's <laughs> all right. Shane was just trying to get the early contract negotiations going. Uh, James has said, um, Webby recently called Wade a top four NRL hooker. Does that sort of chat put any pressure on him and what does he feel he needs to improve to continually play at that level? Um, no, it's not too much pressure, mate. Obviously, you want to you want to try and strive to be you know, best, um, in the game. And um, yeah, I'll just keep working on my game, mate. Obviously, don't get too far ahead of myself if I have a good game or whatever. Um, yeah, I just sort of try and work on things um, week to week. And, um, yeah, hopefully sort of my game takes care of itself from there. Uh, Doug has sent a message here, and it probably uh, goes with that uh, one about uh, who's impressed you the most on and off the field. He says, uh, hey, Wade, have you noticed a difference to the buy-in from the team when compared to previous years? Um, I think so, mate. Yeah, Webby's um, got us real tight and... Um, we seem pretty pretty well connected this year. I'm not saying we weren't previous years, but everyone's back home and uh, yeah, we can... oh. so I guess when you have that um, when you have that sort of connection and away from the field as well, it really um, it really helps on the field. Uh, and plenty of questions in on this one. So I'm going to surmise there's about five people that have sent in the same question, um, Wade, and it's basically along the lines of. Um, 
How do you sort of view the, your, your kicking game? How important is that to you? Because uh, we've sort of seen uh, in the NRL now hookers uh, having an element of a kicking game to their, to their, to their play. They can step out and, and quickly nudge one downfield. Is that something that you have in your arsenal, something you've been working on, something you've been thinking about a bit more? Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Some of you know, I still need to get better, but um, yeah, constantly work on that during training and with our um, Stacey, our kicking coach. So uh, I'm trying to do a bit of work with him as well, just to try and implement that and you know take away a bit of pressure from um, our half. And just finally, uh, before we let you go, uh, Wade Roosters this weekend, very tough matchup against a side that many had as uh, the Premiers this year and, like I mentioned, tipped up by the Dolphins on the weekend. So you've taken a good win uh, on first game up against the Knights on Friday night, but what's, uh, what's sort of been the conversation this week? What's Webby saying to you boys to, to make sure that you back it up this weekend? Yeah, we, uh, we know Trent Robinson will, will get the boys firing, um, the Roosters boys firing this week. They don't usually lose too many back-to-back, so... Um, I think they'll have a real tough edge about them this week and we've got to match that, um, obviously going to their home ground. and um, Hopefully, yeah, we've got to get our starts right, so hopefully we can get that right this week and, um, yeah, build off the performance we had against tonight. Yeah, this is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 10, uh, 11 o'clock tonight, I should say. We're not too far away from 10 o'clock. Interesting there to hear from Wade Egan uh, from uh, Running It Straight earlier today. Uh, that is every Wednesday between 3 and 4 right here on SENZ. Uh, Chris has texted through saying, Wade Egan is a poor man's Jason Deeth. Uh, that might be a little bit harsh. Didn't mind Jason Deeth as a player, but I certainly think Wade Egan's got a little bit more about him, Ben. I was tempted to almost do like a, a power rankings of like the Warriors' best hookers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the name, the names are pretty hard to come to mind in terms of to pick a best one. Well, well, yeah. I was, was going to say I was trying to think who was who was the hooker uh, that did the that did the full flip um, and landed back. Uh, oh, Nathan Friend, Nathan who came Friend. from the Titans. Yeah, he'd be up there. He'd be up there. Or oh, Nathan Fiend. Yeah, Nathan Fein, I think he predominantly played halfback, but yeah. he, there, there was that time where, yeah, around that time, the Warriors had a few guys that could kind of cover that position. So you had like a Grant Ravalli, Nathan Fein in the halves sometimes. Otherwise, Fein would slot, slot into hooker, or George Gaddis was the other hooker. They had Ian Henderson, the Scotsman. That's he, right. He was, there, he was there for a while. He actually came back to the NRL, and he was playing for the Roosters. This was only a few years ago, but he broke his leg. I think, and that pretty much ended, ended it all for him. Well, when I say a few years ago, I might probably mean like five or six, but... Yeah, right. That's, it, just, it doesn't seem like that long ago. That is, that is a few years ago uh, now, a few years ago now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you did mention Isaac Luke had played there for a little bit. We got Isaac Luke, but we, he, he wasn't the Isaac Luke of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. See, that, that's the hard thing. So uh, when I was at News Hub, I... This was during the first lockdown. I compiled like my list of like the best Warriors thirteen, like you know, of all the players put together. And the thing I had to try do was, I didn't want to do it based on their entire career. I wanted to do it purely on their time at the Warriors. Yeah. So that made it a bit more difficult. And I'm trying to remember who I had as the hooker. Uh, I'm gonna have to have a look now. Yeah, you have to you have to Google your own story. Well, this this like I said Ricardo, I've said this a bit, but it's yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, just just a couple, just a couple. I've, I've done. I did two actually. I did my best and I did my second best. So I who did I have? I had Monty Beetham. I put Monty Beetham as oh, my hooker. Yeah. Monty Beetham. What about Sid Eru? Hmm. Mont's Mont was more a thirteen than a hooker, wasn't he? Yeah, but he did play hooker. So mm. I think I put him in on a technicality. Yeah. And I I used Lance O'Hire as my backup because I liked Lance O'Hire coming off the bench. Yeah, he was your number fourteen. 
Yeah, he was my number four. I know my second best. Let's have a look. Who? I had Nathan Fien. I put Nathan Fien as my hooker for my second best. Uh, and then who did I have? As I used Brent Webb as my utility off the bench. Thomas Lulawai. Yeah, look, he had a couple of stints at the Warriors. So he didn't usually play hooker for the Warriors. though, did he? Usually played in the halves. No, and this is the tricky thing because the Warriors had lots of guys. As, as I was saying before, had the capability of playing hooker, but ne- didn't necessarily always play that position. Mm. Or they, yeah, well, they were a halfback and they filled in at, at hooker every once in a while. Um, so I, I might, it might be a topic for next week. I might have to do some, do some digging on, on that one, to be honest. Yeah, all right. Well, what about this weekend then? Um, you weren't here for Teamless Tuesday. Well, not, you weren't on this show for Teamless Tuesday, put it that way. Uh, but we did have the teams come out and no Jared Wairua Hargreaves, no Matt Lodge. Joey Manu has been included, but every, I've, I've talked to about three different people now who have all said that they don't think he'll play, and there is still a question mark over Brandon Smith as well. Don't say that for my fantasy team, please. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, all I, about the I, fantasy. I got, I got a hiding last week. It was embarrassing. I had Joey Manu as one of my first picks, and having you know, one of your top picks not play is pretty tough. Well, Lavina said she didn't reckon he's going to play for a couple of weeks. Well, Chris has text through PJ Marsh, yeah. Oh, yeah, PJ. Yeah, yeah. he was good. And over to a grand final. But so the thing is, I had to take in consideration as well, is, as I said, because it was solely on their time at the Warriors, you kind of had to think about how many games they played for the Warriors. Yeah. So you might get a guy, I can't think of one off the top of my head, that might only have been there for a season or two, but you have to think, in that season or two in the Warriors, was he better than this person who might have had six or seven years at the Warriors? Yeah. Uh, but anyways, back to the subject at hand. Uh, look, I, the Roosters, we saw how they were without their star players. So I'm assuming Trent Robinson would have fired up the team. Yes. Uh, during, during the week. So I'm expecting some form of response, but whether that response is going to be enough to get Roosters a win, I don't know. But we're, we're literally just going off based on what we saw in the first round. Well, we are. We are. But I mean, you know, that's better than what we had last week, right? Yeah, when we but, were going like, but, off preseason but, form. Well, exactly. But if you, if you take if you take all those players out of the Roosters, you take a Brandon Smith out of the Roosters, you take a Joey Manu out of the Roosters, you are thinking that you probably do start thinking that well, maybe the Warriors do have a chance. Well, I think the, I think the Warriors are a real chance, to be honest, um, against this Roosters team. And you know, I, I've got to say, I mean, I know it was a bit of a thing that they talked about, but the uh, the Butcher Boys playing second row together wasn't wasn't overly impressed with them. And I think if if they start as the second row, then you know, you're every chance. Every chance. There you go. It is uh, five away from ten. Keep your texts coming through. Thanks, Chris. Double eight, double three. Just gone 10 o'clock here on SCNZ. This is Extra Time with Ricardo Ball. And this morning we had two games in the Champions League uh, to find out two quarter finalists for this year. And uh, Ben Fika got it done easily against Club Brugge. They were up 5 0 at one point. Uh, Brugge pulled one back, ended up 7 1 on aggregate. So Ben Fika are through to the quarter final. Uh, the other game wasn't going to be so uh, easy to pick, though. Uh, Chelsea were playing Borussia Dortmund. They were down 1 0 after the first leg in Germany and Chelsea haven't been able to buy a goal this season uh, they've been turgid in, in front of goal, they've had a lot of bad luck as well, they've hit the post a number of times and they needed a bit of luck in this game but they did get it and eventually won 2-0 Kai Havertz had to had to retake his pen, he hit the post with it, 
And then they decided some Dortmund players had encroached into the box. So they got him to take it again, and he scored with a second effort. So Chelsea 2, Borussia Dortmund 0, and Chelsea are through to the last eight. Off the back of beating Leeds 1-0 in the EPL last time out, uh, Ben, feels like maybe Chelsea's starting to turn a corner. Oh, bold. Two games. Is it two games too soon? Well, if you'd said they'd beaten you know, a Man City or something like that, I might have said, yeah, but it was Leeds who are in a relegation battle. Yeah, that is true. But, and I mean, hey, Chelsea are 10th. What do you expect from a table game? <laughs> and to be fair, Borussia Dortmund had been in pretty good form heading in. I think you, I think I heard you say last night, talking to David Choate, was a 10 unbeaten? Yeah. So, yeah, like, it, it could be starting to click and Graham Potter could finally kind of have his side settled, so then he'll be frustrated to know there's an international window. On the horizon, right, obviously, it. which is just going to ruin everything. <laughs> Let's hear from Graham Potter. This is uh, the Chelsea manager. What he had to say post match. Really pleased. Yeah, fantastic atmosphere. Fantastic evening. Players were tremendous. The supporters were tremendous. <clears throat> we had to be against a, a team that are doing so well. Ten games on the bounce, winning. Um, but I think over the two games, I think we've deserved to go through. I thought we played a good game against Dortmund, but <clears throat> we didn't score. Today we did, um, and I thought we, yeah, it was a special night. Gary Cottrell. Graham, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we, we all knew this was a make or break night for, for Chelsea's future in the Champions League. Now you've got the victory, in all honesty, did you think it was a make or break night for your future as Chelsea manager? I don't really think about it in that way. There's always going to be those types of questions and noise. My job is to help the team, help the players. Um, the team as best we could and to support them because they've been um, suffering as well the players they've 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 we've not nobody's enjoyed the the run we've had um so that's why today was important for us we we wanted to progress we have and we're happy Simon Johnson Gary hang on sorry yeah yeah I have you Gary we're still here I'm still here Hi. As far as wins go, where does that rank in your career? Would you say it's one of the most satisfying? And, and, and secondly, it looked like you, you didn't watch the, the retake of penalties. Was that the case and, and why? Was it just the level of tension you're feeling? Well, I think uh, you know, to, to win a game, to go into the last eight of the Champions League, you'd have to say it's, it's up there in terms of wins and um, evenings in my career, for sure. And then neither, I watched the first penalty and that didn't work so well. So <laughs> I thought I'd look at the floor and just wait for the crowd to make a noise and thankfully they did. So then uh, at that point I can't do anything. It's just down to Kai and down to Kai's personality and uh, temperament. And obviously that's, that's at a very, very high level. Matt Long. Hey Graham. We've Hi. asked you a fair bit about Mark Cucurella getting booed in the past, but it felt like he turned it around a bit tonight. He had a, a very good game. You had left him out the squad completely and then bring him back straight into the team. Can you just give your feelings on all that? I thought he was... I think he got man of the match, did he? Yeah. I think. So, um, yeah, obviously if the result hadn't gone our way, uh, I'm not sure, you know, what, you know, the, certain, you know, the yeah. consequences. So, um, delighted for him. Uh, obviously, when, when, when you're having a bad time like we are, we've had, um, you accept the criticism, you have to deal with it. Mark uh, has dealt with it well. We've tried to shield him a little bit and at the same time pick the moment. I thought tonight, regardless of his situation, the crowd were going to get behind us because of the because of Champions League and 
with Benoit not available, um, I thought that he just gave us that left foot and balance on the on the back three, and thankfully he was, he, you know, he delivered a top performance. Andy Dillon. Hi, Graham. Um, watching you over the past weeks as we have, you're always pretty well um, guarded on the in, the in the dugout. Tonight we saw you kind of cheerleading, whipping up the crowd, that sort of stuff. Were you? Did you get a bit swept up in the emotion of it as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a, uh, it's an important game. It's a special atmosphere. It's uh, it was um, yeah a, a passionate evening. I would say the both sets of supporters I thought contributed to that. Great atmosphere. Stamford Bridge was rocking, like we said before the game. I thought that it would be, and it was. And then I think our performance helped that as well. We you know pressed high. We tried to win some tackles. We tried to attack them and organised, play some decent stuff against it. Like I said, a top team. Eden's done a fantastic job. Um, so to go through, we're really, really happy. And, and what about the, the character your players showed? Because tonight was the first. I mean, if you, if you take it as one game, you were kind of one 0 down half time against this mm. lot. It was the first time since about November that you've actually come back to win a match. So for the, I just wonder if you could talk to us about the character they've shown there tonight and the energy that was in the team. Yeah, I think it's not just this evening. It's you know we've had a tough period, so we had to respond against Leeds. Um, you know. We played a good game against Dortmund away, but we lost. And in the in the in the moment that we're in, you know, obviously no one wants to hear that you played well and had some chances and should have scored. And then we had a poor first half against Southampton, and then it can pretty quickly spiral into not a pleasant situation. So everybody has to stick together then, and we have to suffer together and find a way through. And I think the players have done that in an incredible way. And like I said, a big thanks to the supporters because they were amazing tonight and they they helped us on Saturday and they've helped us this evening. So brilliant for everybody connected with the club. Darren Lewis. Um, you asked pretty much for um, the supporters to get behind the team and yourself and the supporters have responded big time today. Do you feel like tonight's a night, a bit of a turning point in so much as them getting behind the club yourself um, after some difficult weeks? and? Also, do you feel that you've had a little slice of luck, in, and, and which you know, everyone needs in terms of key players for them not being available, a couple of injuries early on as well? Do you feel like things have just gone your way tonight? Yeah, I think the supporters have, have been really fair with us. I mean, um, they care, supporters care. So when the results aren't what you want, um, you know, they feel pain. And so then they have to articulate that pain somehow, get rid of it. And whether that's at me or whoever it is, it's like, you know, well, we know that when you're in this job, that's what's what happens. So, um, but all I can say is they've been really supportive. We really have. They've stuck with the team. They've helped us on the pitch. And rightly so, when, when we haven't performed, we haven't won, then they've let the feelings know. And that's, that's fair enough. Um, in terms of... Uh, yeah, you always need a little bit of luck. As much as we think we're, you know, these talented coaches and talented players, you need a bit of luck as well. And I would say, you know, before the World Cup, we had nine players out. And whether you, if you've got no Reese James, no Kante, no Wesley Fofana, no Chilwell, no Loftus Cheek, no Sterling, you know, these players are important for us as well. And tonight, like you say, they had some players missing, and, and that goes in our favour. Um, I'm not going to complain about that. That's for sure. There you go. That is uh, the Chelsea manager, Graham Potter, talking after a 2-0 win over Borussia Dortmund. Got them through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Edin Terzic is the manager of Borussia Dortmund. I think 
uh, most people expected Dortmund to go through. I know David Choate from All White, who is part of our Phoenix uh, call team here on SCNZ. I had him on last night. He certainly didn't expect his Chelsea side to get past them. He thought Dortmund would go through. Uh, this is what Eden Terzic had to say about the game this morning. So first of all, fair play to Chelsea and congratulations to Graham and his stuff. I think um, it was in both legs, very tight games in Dortmund and tonight in London. And in these kind of games, inches and moments are deciding are you going to the next round or not. And uh, today, there have been some moments where we've been a bit unlucky, of course, um, but this is also part of the game, so we won't complain about this situation, uh, we, we, we knew that we have to show two top performances and I think both teams deserved it to go to the next round but tonight um, Chelsea scored twice, we haven't and so we can't complain about getting dropped out of the Champions League. Your, your, your players were furious that the penalty was retaken, what was your opinion? Yeah, if, if, if a decision takes about five or six minutes, you know that it's not not easy to make make a call. Um, but I'm the manager of the team. I'm responsible for, for the performance of the team and responsible for <coughs> the performance of the staff, but not responsible for, for the performance of the referee. So uh, we didn't speak about the referee a lot, not uh, in the last weeks, and we won't start with that tonight. Question in the second row. Hi, good evening. One year for one football. Uh, you came from a very good run from the German football with ten wins in a row. What was different between uh, the leagues, uh, the games in the German league and the Champions League tonight? So one of these ten games was also international game against Chelsea at home. Um, so we know that um, we we've been in a good form. We knew that we we gained some confidence, but we said it yesterday in the press conference that confidence and and a good form won't be enough for to, uh, for tonight's second leg. Uh, we know that it can help in some moments, and if you see how we reacted um, after the first 10 minutes, um, where you can feel the power not only from Chelsea also from the stadium, uh, they've been all over us in the first couple of minutes. But then um, we released the pressure. We took a bit of control in, in ball possession and we created some chances and also the reaction after the penalty call um, we had a clear-cut chance by, by Jude Bellingham and after that uh, we, we, we took the control um, of course it's not easy if you see it's not about that they spend money they, they, they brought in some quality players and uh, there have been some counter-attacks most of them they've been offside uh, but you can you can feel that they're always dangerous and if you lose balls, um, they're gonna they're gonna be very dangerous. Uh, but in the end, it was an open game. I think we deserved to score and maybe take it to extra time, and then it's an open game again. But we haven't. And so, once again, congratulations for, to Chelsea, and we have to learn from that. Another question, third row. In terms of motivation and what's left of the season for Borussia Dortmund, do you think this will scar? Your, this result that you're out of the Champions League, does it influence your, your future decision? So our season started in July and we said uh, we want to have a, a good run in all three competitions. So tonight we are dropped out of the Champions League against Chelsea. I don't think that um, um, it's, it's something where you have to feel uh, ashamed for. Um, but don't get me wrong, tonight we are really disappointed.
but tomorrow morning we're going to stand up, we're going to recover, and then we go for the next one, and it's a big derby for us on Saturday. And then by the end of May, we're going to see what we deserved, and that this is what we want uh, um, to do, and this is how we work. We want to deserve everything. We don't want anything for granted, but in the end, we're going to see in, in the end of May. Yeah, in terms that she did uh, touch there on the penalty, it was a tough one, I thought, on... Dortmund because when the penalty was taken uh, the first time and uh, the ball hit the post, um, Havertz had actually done that stutter step thing. So he had run up and then stopped completely dead before then kicking the ball. And it was the stutter that I think put the Dortmund players off. So they had come to follow him in in case there's a rebound uh, and they got into the box uh, before he touched the ball, but uh, that was as much on him as it was on them, so I could see why they were a bit upset about that. Uh, there is two games tomorrow, including Spurs. Antonio Conte, the manager of Spurs, will hear from him next. This is SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock. It is 19 past 10. Double eight double three is the uh, Temper Bedpost text machine. Or you can call us through on double eight, uh, on 0800 150 811. Uh, tomorrow morning, two more games in the Champions League. Bayern Munich take on PSG. They have a 1-0 lead from the first leg. The second leg is in Munich. There is no Neymar. No Kimpembe, no Hakimi, and no Renato Sanchez for PSG. Uh, Lucas Hernandez, Manuel Neuer, uh, Nasir Mazaroy, and Benjamin Pavard are all out for Bayern. Bayern look pretty good, I think. Uh, they've won five of their last six matches against PSG. They know how to play this team. And a score a draw gets them through. They do, as I said, lead 1-0. PSG do go into the game with Messi and Mbappe as their front two, but uh, you're both teams missing their right-sided defence, basically. Uh, so there probably will be goals in this one. The TAB, well, they currently see it this way. PSG as the outsiders at 375. They've got the draw at 433, and Bayern Munich at $1.72 to win. The other game tomorrow morning is Tottenham against AC Milan. That one kicks off at 9 o'clock. Spurs are favourites at home at $1.83. AC Milan four dollars twenty. The draw three sixty. AC Milan lead one nil from the first leg. They lost their last game out, but before that were unbeaten. And for Spurs, however, uh, are all over the show. They are so up and down. They are really hard to predict. I think they have won five, lost five of their last ten. So try and figure that one out. Uh, Spurs also uh, missing a couple as well. Uh, Eric Dyer is suspended. Rodrigo Bentancur pretty much done for the season. Hugo Lloris and Yves Basuma are out as well. Uh, so I think this probably favours AC Milan, although they're probably the Spursiest of the Italian sides, if you like, as well with what they're capable of. But, you know, a draw gets AC Milan through. And I think uh, that is probably quite likely. I quite like the draw in that one. Here is Antonio Conte, the Spurs manager, talking today ahead of that game tomorrow morning. Yeah, yesterday was uh, was positive, and uh, my feeling uh, was uh, was really really good, and um, you know very well uh, the importance for me to to work with uh, my players and uh, to stay. Uh, to stay together and uh, to work with the staff and uh, uh, to prepare the game. From far, uh, I tried. I tried to to stay very close to my staff, to the players, uh, with uh, 
uh, with the with the video and uh, to try to uh, to be linked. But you know very well. Uh, to, to be present is totally different. It's totally different, and uh, for this reason, uh, I have to tell thanks to the whole staff because I think they, they did a really, a really good job. Also, the players to stay for three weeks without the coach uh, wasn't easy. I know, I know this, and uh, but uh, now uh, I'm back. I'm really happy, and. Uh, we have an important game tomorrow and uh, a better game for us because uh, we want to go to the next round and uh, we'll try, we'll try to do it. Uh, and uh, for this reason, I hope tomorrow to, to feel uh, a great atmosphere, an amazing atmosphere in our stadium. And uh, many times our fans uh, gave us the, the, the right boost to overcome the um, difficult situation. And tomorrow uh, we are playing against a team that last season uh, won the league in Italy. And we are talking about a really good team. Antonio, um, you didn't look particularly well when we saw you in Milan, if, if we're being honest. Are you, and you said you weren't 100% as well. Are you 100% now? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm <laughs> but honestly, uh, for uh, for myself and uh, I was uh, uh, also well uh, uh, in the in the first game because uh, I repeat and uh, maybe not not maybe but uh, for sure I are uh, under the. Uh, the recovery after uh, uh, a surgery, and, um, yeah, and for this reason, uh, I think that uh, yeah, for my sense of responsibility, I wanted to come back uh, early. I undervaluated the the situation, the surgery, but maybe I overvaluated my my body, my <laughs> myself, and uh, but. Uh, yeah, now now I'm I'm well and uh, I recover energy. Uh, I have to to still recover uh, weight, but uh, for the rest uh, I'm uh, I'm okay. My feeling is good. Uh, I have a lot of energy. Um, I'll try to transfer my my energy to to my players because uh, it's a it's an important game for for us. They know very well this, and uh, I repeat, we want to to create a fantastic atmosphere tomorrow and uh, to uh, to try to, to go to the next round. Dan. Hey, Antonio. Hi. You've obviously been through quite a, a serious uh, illness and, and operation. Um, I wondered, has the whole experience made you think differently about your future or the job or, or put anything in perspective for you about, about just your life and at work and, and away from work? No, but uh, but you know, and uh, um, I think this this type of situation can happen. And uh, I discovered uh, after my surgery that many, many, many of my friends had the same surgery. And uh, for for me, uh, the difference that was uh, uh, an urgency surgery, and not uh, that we programmed. This, uh, this surgery, this was different, and uh, for this reason, uh, maybe I needed more time to to recover uh, to recover well. 
Um, but uh, you know, and uh, but uh, it's okay. And uh, <laughs> you know that in uh, previously happened uh, a lot of uh, uh, of sad news, no, of sad news that. When they sent me that uh, <laughs> I had only uh, a surgery for this reason, I uh, was happy. I was happy because <laughs> you never know when you stay. You are not. You are not in a in a good uh, condition. Uh, what happened? And uh, yeah, but this uh, doesn't change my my mind. Yeah, and uh, now I repeat, and uh, I feel I feel that. Uh, I have to stay with the players. I have to to breathe this uh, this atmosphere, uh, the training ground, the training ground, and uh, uh, to prepare the game and uh, to to stay with them. Antonio Conte, uh, the Spurs manager, talking ahead of their match with AC Milan uh, tomorrow morning. Also talking uh, this morning uh, about this match was Hyun Min Son, the South Korean striker who plays for Spurs. He's had a very up and down season, was on fire last season, has struggled a bit this season, but has started to come right just recently. Yeah, I think it's, uh, if you look at the back, I think it's... Uh too late to speak about the, yeah one week good one week bad I think the the most important thing is that tomorrow that we have a the most important game of the, of the season so I think we prepare well so I think we have to bounce back because the last week was been really really tough so I think tomorrow games are really important the player looking forward and I mean um, under the light in the in the, our stadium I think we have to give everything that make uh, the fans proud and the club proud and also, us make us proud. John. Hi, can I can I just ask from the first leg? Did you see enough in that game? You, you know, you played quite well as a team, didn't you? And, and maybe could have got a result on that night. Do you feel as if you know you've got some confidence that you, you're able to turn it around in the second leg? There's enough there to to progress. No, I mean, if we don't have a, uh, confidence about this game, I think we should not play this game. So, I mean. Uh, we are playing home. Obviously, it was a tough game, but um, I think we started quite uh, sloppy. That we considered early goal. Obviously, when you play in the away f- away from home, it's uh, difficult when you started with the uh, one nil down. So I mean, uh, it was a tough game. And but after afterwards, I think we reacted quite, quite well and had a couple of chances to to make it happen. But um, look, in the Champions League, everyone is preparing so well in all all the strong teams, but. Look, tomorrow I think it's a different game that we are playing home. Then we should take all what we have and uh, with the positive energy and then with the great fans. And look, I think we have to give everything, you no know, confidence. With everything is not, it's not important. So we have to give everything to get Tony Rand again. Okay, David, please. Hi. Um, looking at AC Milan, what is the thing you admire the most of them? I think they are. Good organ organization for for tactical. I think they're playing similar similar as, like us. But look, I think in the Champions League, I think they are all 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 the teams are strong and well prepared. That what I said before. So I think kind of game that like uh, individual duels and yeah, it will be really really tough game. But looking forward to play this game again. Nick, how important is it to have that man back? Uh, at Spurs, I mean, it's important that I'm glad that uh, the manager is sitting next to me and uh, is back and uh, bring good energy for the team. Obviously, 
the 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 stuff when when he was not here i think the staff did a good job and i think obviously when boss is not here it's uh, it's different you know and then yeah from the yesterday we could feel that that the energy that he's passion again so i think if he's on the touchline player will be more comfortable and yeah i think he will give us amazing boost and amazing energy there you go, uh, Son Hyun Min, talking ahead of the game between Tottenham and AC Milan tomorrow morning. And Tottenham $1.83 favourites, AC Milan three twenty. the draw at three sixty. And, you know, if you do fancy uh, Son Hyun Min to score, then there are those options as well. He certainly has turned around his form from the start of the season where he was at one point struggling to get in the side. Anytime goal scorer, $3. First goal scorer, six fifty at the TAB. It is 29 away from 11. When we come back, we talk motorsport with Eric Thompson. You're on SENZ. This is Extra Time. And joining us to talk motorsport is Eric Thompson. ET, how are you, mate? Really good, thanks, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Good. You must be excited. I mean, we've had it all kick off. Uh, you know, this weekend, the first round of supercars last weekend, we had F1 and, and IndyCar get underway. It's uh, it's all happening, mate. And maybe we should start with IndyCar because uh, three Kiwis in the uh, in the reckoning this year. And, boy, uh, Marcus Armstrong went a right first first dig, didn't he? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, did. I thought he did extraordinarily well, Marcus Armstrong. He, um, you know, for a rookie, that's his first race. He's only done a bit of testing. Um, but then again, every, we've all got to remember, he was a, incredibly quick and very, very good in Formula 2. You know, he's a race winner and been on the podiums. And he says the cars, when I've chatted to him in the past, he says the cars are pretty similar. You know, um, the Indy car doesn't have as much aero downforce. It's more mechanical, um, which means that's why in, you watch Indy car racing, the cars, you know, they did side by side, three wide, you know, three deep, because you know you can't do, really do that in Formula One because it requires um, too much um, aero downforce. But for him to stay out of trouble, because the first lap there was chaos and carnage, and then at lap forty odd there was more chaos and carnage, and there were people punting into the tire walls left, right, and centre. And Mark Armstrong stayed out of trouble. But the big thing for me is how mature he was, because he got rear-ended and got a flat tire on the opening lap. So he had to pit, so he came out nearly dead last and, and to just miss out on a top 10 to come home in 11th, I thought it was outstanding for him. Yeah, what's the talk uh, been around him over in the States, particularly from the uh, you know the media in the States that follows IndyCar? Yeah, he's quick. I think he hasn't made a bigger splash as uh, Scott McLaughlin because that really was like, holy geez, he's another New Zealander who's only ever raced tin tops. You know, his first foray into open wheelers. And, you know, and then in his second season, he, he won at St. Pete's last season. So I think a lot of the chatters about, like, oh, God, it's just another bloody Kiwi. You know, it's almost like, geez, they come over here to IndyCar and they go fast because Scott sent the, Dixon sent the benchmark. Then you got McLaughlin who's winning races. And you got Marcus finishing midfield in his first race and staying out of trouble. Which is good to see. Uh, on Scott, uh, he did get into trouble. Uh, but he owned it too. I thought he owned it very well. Yes, he did. Um, very unlike uh, Formula One, where no, nobody owns up to anything. It's everybody else's fault. But um, I thought it was interesting with Roman Grosjean having a bit of a pout straight afterwards because a lot of fans of IndyCar will notice the last couple of years that Grosjean, when he migrated across from Formula One, 
in Formula One, he had a lot of accidents and caused a lot of accidents. And in IndyCar, he was clipping people and going for lunges left, right and centre. So it's a bit like the pot calling the kettle black. But McLaughlin owned it, went over. The two of them are mates. So, you know, went over and it was great. And that footage of them having a hug afterwards, I think it it's a really good benchmark example that it's racing, you know? Things are going to happen. They both want to win, so... That's not getting grumpy about it. No, he didn't stand and he he didn't walk past his uh, his pit lane and 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 run his thumb across his throat or anything. He just just owned no. it and got stuck in. <laughs> he did not. <laughs> no, no, nice link. Yeah, and now he he did lead the race for thirty seven laps. Um, I <clears> mean, how big is this year for Scott McLaughlin? I mean, is he in your books as likely to win IndyCar this year as Scott Dixon? Yeah, yeah, he, he's an absolute bona fide cast iron, gold plated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, title contender without a shadow of a doubt. The same as Dixon. Again, you know, like Dixon, the old stager, picks up three, you know, picks up points. Points means prizes. Um, he would have liked to have won. I mean, he got he got a, he, he got unstuck a little bit with that blend line thing. I, I can't understand. I mean, I know technically what it does, but I don't understand why they do it. That just doesn't make sense to me. So, he, you know, he came out in the lead. If that was, hadn't been a yellow flag, a minimum, you know, two seconds before he came out of pit lane, he would have grabbed the lead, and I doubt anybody would have caught him. But anyway, he had to give up four spots. Mm, yeah, well, and he, I mean, he still, he still finished third. So, like you say, he's mm-hmm. banking, mm-hmm. banking points early. Um, I know it's early in the season. Will Powers around, Alex Palau's around, um, Marcus Erickson won, Erickson won this race. Pat Ward yeah. came second. Uh, I mean, who do you like this season? Who are the Kiwis got to, got to knock off? Um, I think Marcus Erickson will be a real threat this year to the Kiwis. Um, a real threat. He's got a swagger about him now. Uh, and that's because he won the Union Apple 500 last year. And he, he's with Chick Ganassi Racing. You know, he's got a really good team. He's at the powerhouse team now. Those four drivers, you know, the two Kiwis in there, it's just, mate, that, that, I think they'll put Penske to the sword a bit. I think McLaughlin will be the only Penske driver that will challenge. Will Power had a flash in the pan last year. You know, he hung around a bit when, that, you know, just was there, right place at the right time, but. Yeah, the guy can qualify well, but he's not. He doesn't have much race craft, mm. and he always looks grumpy. So, <laughs> it's because it's because he's a struggle. hard man to like. That's right. Yeah, yeah. hard man to like. You know, who he reminds me of who? is Cardell, that cyclist that won the Tour de France. Oh yeah, they yeah. both look like they're chewing on a wasp. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, put. I digress. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, that's all right, mate. Uh, well, let's uh, have a quick squiz at uh, Formula One. Another another Formula One season, another Ferrari mishap in the opening race. Um, will, will they ever get it right? Uh, you know, there's too many. There's too many managers in that team, and it's well regarded as that. You know, like Toto Wolf, he is Mercedes. What he says goes. And then you've got, you know, at Red Bull, it's Christian Horner. Boom. That's it. You know, and a lot of the things like that, you get to Ferrari. And although you've got a team, new team principal, there'll be family members in the background saying, no, we would be doing this. Or no, you've got to do that. And all these chiefs sitting around the table. And it's, it's, it's just a beast of a thing to try and uh, manage. And they've got to be careful because Charles Leclerc won't hang around if they keep making errors like that, you know, they ruined two or three of his races 
Um, that to me about that drive to survive, season five or whatever that dropped earlier this month, was the, the, the fundamental errors and decision making that they made. I mean, I'm still amazed that they finished second in the championship. It's almost like they tried, <laughs> tried to finish last. <laughs> so, so they've you know they've got to sort it out. They've got to streamline their management. One guy makes the decision. And um, you know, and, and then you're accountable for your decisions afterwards. But hey, very impressed with Williams. Wow, see what a little bit of money does. Yeah, they, them. yeah, they went all right. right. Uh, it's a tenth yeah. and a twelfth. Yeah, they 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 look all right. Yeah. Normally they were nineteenth and twentieth. So they're now Aston Martin though. Woohoo! I was going to say you can, you can teach a new, uh, an old dog new tricks. Fernando Alonso turning up in that Aston Martin and grabbing third. I mean, I don't think anybody saw that coming, did they? Ah, I'll put my hand up in my piece I wrote for the weekend Herald on Motorsport. I said, look out for Fernando Alonso. He will be in my book, could be a title contender this year. And boom, he, put, he gets on the podium first time out. But to hear him on the cockpit radio saying, this is a beautiful car to drive. That's good. Hey, he, he's going to be, he, he'll rattle a few cages. Because you know what Red Bull's fine last year for going over there, um, Finance cap. They're not allowed to do any aero testing all season. Oh wow! They got fined a hundred and something million, but because the um, decision came down after they built their car, so the aero on their car is better than anybody else's at the moment. But they can't do any testing, so they're stuck with that car, that aero package for the whole season. So coming mid-season, Ricardo, I think it'll be interesting to see. Whether the others have caught up because they can still do aero, you know, they can do aero testing during the whole championship. But Red Bull have just come out really fast, and I reckon in the first half of the season they'll they'll be going nuts out to absolutely win as many races as they can. Yeah, because the rest of the field will. Yeah, well, um, I maybe mean, Verstappen didn't look bothered at all, did he? Nah. Oh, he was nearly a minute ahead, and then he just lifted off. Somebody said, oh, he finished 11 seconds ahead. He was he was cruising. He was only on gas mark four. He was just tootling around, saving the car and saving the engine. Very astute. When you know you've got that much pace, there's no point banging out fastest lap if you just stay ahead. He's got a quite a good racer's brain. A lot of, you know, polarizing guy. But, and he's, you know, with his heart on his sleeve, says what he sleeves, you know, it's his mind, but he's got a racer's brain. So he realised, wow, no, you know, my car's too good today, so I'll just dial back a bit and just bring it home. And we also, Mercedes are in a world of pain. Yeah, which is which is you love to see, um, just quietly. All right. Hey, here's one for you and the listeners. Ever since they've painted that car black, mm-hmm. they've had two duff seasons and they've had a duff first race. I reckon there's something in that. It's called the Silver Arrows for a reason. It's supposed to be silver. Go back, you Mark my words, Ricardo. If they paint it silver, they'll be up around the front again. Mm, all right. And I wanted to ask you about Lance Stroll as well because he, he finished sixth in the other Aston Martin, uh, which is a good result for him. Uh, mm. But he, he only just ma- made the uh, the opening race because of the injury that he sustained while cycling. And I think it's interesting to note that he can crash bikes as well as he can crash cars. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of um, Shane Van Gisbergen. <laughs> when he busted his collarbone and a couple of bones and he broke a couple of ribs and came back and, well, won a race. Whereas Stroll didn't win. But for a guy that's got two plates, three pins and a broken toe, he didn't do too bad. I wouldn't want to be trying to 
muscle something around at 300 kilometres an hour when I you know, broke a whole lot of bones four, four or five weeks ago. So good on him. Yeah, well done. Well done. All right, mate. And this weekend, supercars are back as well. The Newcastle 500. Uh, we've got the, the new GM as well. Um, so that's that's going to be interesting too. Uh, different looking cars from what's normal. I see Garth Tander's basically said with the Gen 3 the way it is, is um, there's no pecking order, basically. And I'm, I'm like, well, you could maybe say that off testing, but there's a bloke uh, called uh, Shane Van Gisbergen that would probably yep. argue that point. Oh, definitely. Um, he's, you know, for two seasons, he's been head and shoulders above everybody else. But I've, from the silence that's come out of uh, Red Bull's garage and him himself, I don't think he's overly chuffed with the car. Because he was hoping the Gen Three car would make, you know, like make the racing closer. Yeah. You know, so he, you know, like he's one of these guys that says if he's not being pushed, he's not learning anything. So, and it, you know, if he romps away in every race, for him, he'll, he'll just get bored and go and go race somewhere else because he wants to be challenged and pushed. It's like anything. You know, that great phrase: that if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room because you're not being challenged or pushed. And for him, his biggest fear is not for people not to be giving him a run for his money. And um, with these new cars, hopefully that's what was supposed to happen. But they've been so late developing them and the testing's been pushed back and forward. So it's almost like Newcastle will be the first, will be a test. There'll be a lot of people, a lot of people struggling, I think, with the car. But um, we shall see. I'm quite interested to see how all this pans out. But it's a bit like watching NASCAR. Back in the day, you know, the Chevy with the Camaros and the Mustangs. It'll certainly um, be a different look. Yeah, and I just wonder whether what will happen because part of that, the attraction of that championship, was the Ford v Holden. You know, that's what that entire building raft and, and boilerplate for that championship was about. Ford during Holden. Now it, it's sort of like, not for me, but I think for a lot of fans. You're going to have to try and shift their fan base because a lot of people will be looking at it and just saying, oh, they're just, you know, yank cars. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's anything got anymore. nothing to do with Australia. It's not Australia's. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it, will lose some of it. Yeah, it will lose some of that, eh? Hey, uh, I yeah. wanted to ask you about this as well. I know it's in Super 2 rather than in Supercars, uh, but uh, Channel 7 over in Aussie have, uh, have got the rights this year and uh, they're doing something a little bit different. Jack Perkins is racing in Super 2, and he's also uh, anchoring the commentary team. Um, that's going to be an interesting uh, juggle for Jack Perkins, isn't it? So are you going to do the commentary from inside the car? Well, he's doing Super 2, so I think, no, he's racing, but then calling the supercars. Yeah, I, yeah, I read that. And was, I, I, don't, I don't quite know how that's going to work out, but like I said, it, it could be an interesting thing if he actually commentated on the race. Well, you'd have, you'd have to car. have somebody with some extremely good willpower and self-control not to f and blind when somebody bumps them here, there, yep. and there, knowing you're on TV, right? Yep, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, good on Jack Perkins. He's carved out a, a you know, pretty... I met him years and years ago when um, he was actually a full-time racer in the Jack Daniels car. And um, he's a really pleasant young man. I mean, this was about 10 years ago. And... You know, he's a diabetic, full-on diabetic, and then he lost his drive, and he's managed to carve a niche out for him. So I'm pleased for him that he has. 
Eric, it's no surprise that they haven't asked you or me to do that. That's all I'll say um, in terms of uh, in terms of watching the gob uh, with the microphone on. But, uh, mate, listen, uh, good to chat. Uh, motorsport is always looking forward to this weekend and the first round of supercars, mate, and uh, hopefully we can catch up next week, eh? Yeah, I really look forward to catching up next weekend and, like you, looking forward to the first round of supercars.